triple main event. Tri tri triple the Rock. Main event. Chris Benoit. One war for the WWF Championship. Triple main event. Triple H. Chris Jericho. A last man standing match. The Undertaker. Kurt Angle. The battle for pride. Triple main event. Fully loaded. Tri one night. Main event. One opportunity. Hello, my name is Chris White and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast where we're going back in the time machine to July of the year 2000 to bring you all your WWF coverage, including a full review of the fully loaded pay-per-view. Um, three volumes as always for you this month. Um, quite a quiet month by uh, all accounts from WCW, just the uh, Bash of the Beach 2000 pay-per-view uh, brought to you by Eric and uh, of course Chris Lacey rounding off the month with all your ECW coverage joining me for the wwf we have firstly rory mcnamara rory how are we doing i am doing very well chris great to be here as always great to have you here rory and uh we are in fact backed to doing a three-man booth on the wwf side of the fence um as we always really have aspired to be but we have the return on one of these main shows none of this uk specific nonsense the return of dan welling dan great to have you back how are you doing yeah, yeah, I'm very, I'm very well, thanks. It's very good to be back on the main show timelines, as you said, and it's good to see that things have improved quite a bit. Yeah, it's been a quite the turnaround um, compared to the last time you were uh, covering the main show on the WWF. So it's positive signs. Uh, but Dan, I believe you have some news headlines to guide Rory through for the month. Please, will you uh, crack on? No problem at all. Uh, love, always good to see uh, Mr. McNamara's uh, witty journalism at its very best. Uh, Mr. McMahon goes to Washington. Yes, I spend literally second on these headlines, everybody. Yes. <laughs> so several times throughout Raw on the last day of the month, Michael Cole spoke from the floor of the Republican National Convention, of all places, interviewing Linda McMahon. 
Cole explained that the WWF are waging a non-partisan, remember that, campaign to register its fans to vote in the upcoming presidential election. Jim Ross then further hyped that fans can now register to vote at WWF New York. The video package then aired with the following words. A message to politicians. Every week, 14 million eligible voters elect to watch World Wrestling Federation TV entertainment. I'll see what they did there. This November, these 14 million WWF fans will elect the next presidents of the United States. Will they elect you? Linda McMahon then went above and beyond, speaking at a cop luncheon, talking about the American dream. Not that one. And it aired on C-SPAN of all places. So they really are going places. And then The Rock was invited by vice presidential candidate Dick Cheney to appear at the convention, which he might well have done by the time you hear this. A lot of controversy about this, which we will discuss shortly, but just now in a rather light-hearted mood. Uh, where does this 14 million come from? Well, lots of people have said that the WWF are merely counting the same viewer three times if they watch three WWF programmes. But no, it really is 14 million, 14 million eligible voters. And do you know how I know that? Because the WWF's own in-house statistician says so. Want to be an astronaut? Want to be a movie star? Nah, whoever their in-house statistician is, he or she is in the right job, aren't they? God, I'm envious. Mr. Muchnick goes to town again. Yes, it's. I thought we'd... What was it one month since we last heard from him? Were we ever so young? In the New York Post this month, Phil Muchnick had the following to say about the XFL. The obscene marriage of NBC Sports to Vince McMahon has reached the commercial stage during Tuesday's All-Star Game, an ad ran for the XFL on NBC. McMahon appeared in the spot to smugly tell us that quarterbacks won't be wearing panties in the XFL. Aside from the fact it was a terribly sexist comment, but far tamer than the misogynist acts McMahon sells to kids on his shows, McMahon was obviously referring to the perceived softness of NFL quarterback fellows who weekly suffer concussions to the point where they're forced to retire. But that's McMahon. His sense of sports entertainment, and now NBC's, lies not in people watching football, but in the hope of people, especially kids, watching someone get brutalised. And how did the WWF respond to these comments from their best pal? Why, every city they were in for Raw and SmackDown, we just heard from local mayors and dignitaries and people dragged off streets how pleased they were that they were putting together an XFL team for next year. What are the chances? A Hart family lawsuit in jeopardy. Yes, it's been dragging on and on ever since May 99, and it's taken... Well, if it's possible to take another turn for the worse, I'm afraid it has. Uh, WWF lawyers have accused the Hart family lawyers, Gary and Anita Robb, of having other Hart family members sign agreements promising them part of any cash settlement with the Federation if they support them. The Robbs have vehemently denied any wrongdoing. In court documents, they said the following. Nothing in the agreement even hints that the signatory siblings are under any obligation to testify, be it falsely or evasively. It merely provides that they shall help the plaintiffs and not help the defendants. The Robs are concerned that the WWF will settle out of court with Stu and Helen Hart, and Missouri state law means that that settlement will apply to all family members, whether they gave their consent or not, meaning the suit in the name of Martha and her children would automatically be dropped. Uh, Kent Sullivan, an attorney for the defendants, said... I think to have given these siblings a financial interest in the outcome of this case and then to have tried to keep it from the court, from my client and from myself, is something that seriously undermines the potential for a fair trial in this case. 
And David Actenberg, a law professor at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, said the agreement to reward a witness raises serious ethical questions. Grimmer and grimmer, I'm afraid. Uh, fully loaded, the glass ceiling pay-per-view. Yes, fully loaded took place this month, and we will, of course, break it down match by match for you a bit later on in the show. But a brief pricey July the 23rd, Dallas, Texas Reunion Arena in front of 16,504 people. And the glass ceiling pay-per-view so-called because in a triple main event, as it was advertised because of one person in there, it had to be, the young guns went against the old stages. And they lost every match, but narrowly in at least two cases, certainly not in the other one. It was, spoiler alert, a pretty marvellous event from top to bottom, but we'll tell you just how marvellous it was, or maybe not, a little later on. But just to confirm, coming out of it, most importantly of all, The Rock is still the WWF champion, although at this stage we still do not know who his opponent will be at SummerSlam. World Wide Web Wrestling Federation. Yes, in order to illustrate how down they are with the kids, here is how the word WWF fares in the latest Lycos list of the most commonly entered words in its search engine. They come in at number nine. Pokemon was, of course, number one, with Big Brother at two, Britney Spears at three. Um, the Federation, as I say, came in at nine with tattoos finishing up at number ten. But it's not all bad for WWF. WCW didn't even make the top 50 in any of its forms. Thank you uh, very much, Rory. Um, excellent job as always. Uh, Dan, uh, going through and hearing the news there from uh, Rory, what stands to you, stands out to you, sorry, uh, from the news this month? Obviously, we have uh, quite the, uh, well, tearing down of Vince McMahon and all things sports entertainment. Uh, but we also have the involvement quite front and centre on Raw of the WWF and mainstream American politics. Yeah, what's that thing about politics and sport and politics and sports entertainment don't mix? You know, to me, with a company that is intrinsically linked with the Republican Party, I, even if you're even if you're saying that we're not partisan, we're not backing any candidate whatsoever, the fact that you're even there is a clear endorsement enough that this is, you know, the 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 horse that they are backing so to speak and if you are a general casual a casual viewer who has no interest in politics and would like to vote because you know my favorite promotion in the entire world wants me to do so then i'll just vote for the com for the company that they've turned up at to me which is a bit you know undemocratic but you know if encouraging people to vote is always a good thing but i just wish that they would have turned up the week after a democratic convention but just to you know have equal opportunities for all um all parties involved with that you know so but again i'm not american and yeah i've already voted for labor in the last three elections so it's all good uh, and just just quickly as someone who actually works in the world wide web wrestling federation rory Coming ninth in a worldwide trend search is incredibly impressive of everything. So I know it's a little, you know, wrestling community that we have to think of we're, but this is huge to come against people like that pop culture for icons of Pokemon and Britney Spears. This is clear as day data, empirical data evidence that the WWF right now is pop culture. It's intrinsically pop culture. And that's a, 
incredible achievement for that company. Um, so yeah, it's just find that incredibly impressive reading that article. WCW didn't even place. Yeah, just shows you how far away they are. Just pop culture material right now. Yeah, and I, I mean, you don't have to go back that far, to, and maybe have the opinion that they'd have been in the exact opposite positions. Um, so it, it, it's just a reflection of sort of this <laughs> quite drastic and pretty um, unexpected, I think it's fair to say, turnaround of fortunes for the WWF. And likewise, <laughs> the unexpected downfall of uh, WCW from, from where they were a few short years ago. Uh, Rory... Sorry, oh, just, sorry, I'd be no. really interested to see if they could break down that data even more and look at where Steve Austin, The Rock, Triple H, Mick Foley, yes. all these people come in that category because, okay, the company's winning, but are top stars ahead of WCW? Because if that's the case, then, yeah, it just shows you how much more interwoven they are in pop culture. And if, if one of those stars or four of those stars is on that list and just show you how popular they are. And I think they deserve enormous credit as well for keeping things going and maybe pushing them either, even higher when, with the exception of, what, one night unannounced, well, kind of not unannounced, but a couple of nights earlier this year for, for Backlash, we've we've not had Austin for months. Like, we he's, they're without their, their top guy and uh, they've just kept things rolling throughout the year. Um, business is doing very well. Some great pay-per-views, Fully Loaded is a prime example of that. And no Stone Cold Steve Austin. So they do deserve enormous credit for all their <laughs> faults. And there are many. Um, they uh, really have been firing on all cylinders for, for a good while. Um, Rory, uh, anything more from you, uh, particularly on the uh, political affiliation now of, of Raw? <laughs> I'll get there. Uh, first off, I'd like to meet the person, or maybe I wouldn't, who searched for Pokemon and Big Brother and Britney Spears and the WWF and tattoos. It's building up quite an image in my head, which I'll briefly, very briefly move on from. Uh, I wonder if it's got anything to do with the... Is he, is he, was she, one of the 14 million people on the WWF's list, I wonder? Let's find out. Yes, I see very much where Dan is coming from on this. Number one, Dan, you voted Labour in the 1987 general election, despite spitting image election specials, best attempts to get you to vote otherwise. Nurses, nurses, there's a reference for you, so well done. And I must say, in the interest of fairness, you might deem it undemocratic, and again, I see what you did there, but apparently they will be showing up at the Democratic Conference at some point in the next few weeks, although details of that are rather suspiciously sketchy. Yes, as so often with the WWF, on the face of it, what they are doing here is extremely laudable. We all should exercise our democratic <clears throat> rights to vote whenever we can, because let's face it, we don't have many opportunities to change things, certainly not in this country, and I'm sure that is the case over in the States as well. Probably be another general election coming up here, I think, next year, if the music is to be believed. But I don't think there's going to be much change either way. But I'll leave other listeners to decide if they're in the UK if they are happy with that or not. There you go. But going back to this one, yeah, it's we all know the ties, don't we? Let's We don't need really to list them here. And probably because of those, that's why the Fed have, at least to the best of my knowledge, not dipped their toes into these waters before. The only example I could come up with 
was Vince lightly rebuking Bobby Heenan for name-checking Ross Perot during the Shawn Michaels Bulldog IC title match on Saturday night's main event towards the end of 1992. And I'm just going to put this fact out there again, non-partisan. 1992, the Federation don't get involved. The presidential election resulted in as it resulted. 1996, they don't get involved. The presidential election resulted as it resulted. 2000, they get involved. Let's see, shall we? Because one thing's for certain, Vince McMahon loves to be on the winning team. And whoever the winning team ends up being, he will tell us he was on the winning team. It's hard, it's hard not to sound cynical about this, isn't it? I appreciate what they are doing, trying to lift the stigma best they can, but wrestling fans are a bit thick, really. And yes, they are capable of going down to their local polling station and voting after all. But you get it. So before we get to uh, the fully loaded pay-per-view, we've got uh, the world of WWF television to traverse for the month. Um, one of the biggest storylines to cover, which obviously uh, comes to a head on the pay-per-view, is the uh, growing rivalry between Chris Jericho and Triple H. So the two men really started having issues dating way back to April. Um, and that famous phantom title switch on Raw. Um, but things have been escalating quite rapidly following uh, Jericho um, stealing a kiss, shall we say, from Stephanie McMahon back at King of the Ring. Um, the rivalry continued to build to a point. Commissioner Foley announced on the first Raw of the month that the two men would be facing each other at Fully Loaded. Um, the next week on Raw, Jericho uh, faced Hunter's DX stablemate, Road Dog. Uh, Jericho picked up the win after a strong showing, but Hunter didn't take too kindly to this, smashing a lamp backstage, confronting Road Dog, furious at him losing. X-Pac trying to calm things down, but uh, to no avail. But a bit later, Hunter looked quite pleased with himself, looking quite smug backstage, telling Stephanie that he had an idea. Stephanie was then in the ring for a promo, invited Jericho down and claimed that King of the Ring, when Jericho kissed her, she kind of liked it, and she thinks that Jericho liked it too. We see a shot of Jericho backstage. He says he's been thinking of that kiss too. His music plays and his pyro goes off but there's no Chris Jericho. Instead, we have Road Dog, X-Pac, and Triple H waiting to attack him. Jericho's still backstage and says this was a painfully obvious setup from Hunter. He says that Hunter has to live with the fact that Y2J has got more action with Stephanie than Hunter has got in the last 10 months. That's a quote. Hunter did a promo saying tonight not, might not be the night, but fully loaded, your ass is mine. Stephanie left the ring and Hunter's music played to end it. That looked to be the end of things for that edition of Raw. But backstage, we had some more DX d dysfunction. X-Pac said there was always a stupid idea that was never going to work, and Hunter objected to this. They got in a shoving match, and uh, Hunter challenged X-Pac to a match tonight. Rodog tried to talk Hunter out of it, but he was insistent, so the match was set. So later that night, when they face each other, they were going through the motions for a few minutes before X-Pac sends Hunter over the top to the floor. This brings out an opportunistic Chris Jericho attacking Hunter with punches and kicks. But, however, this was revealed to be the true setup. Uh, Road Dog emerged with a sledgehammer, and the three DX friends, all united on the same team, beat down Chris Jericho, stomping away outside the ring. Um, JR noted that they 
had really just been beating each other up just to get Jericho to take the bait, and Lawler loved it. X-Pac hit the X-Factor. Hunter hit a pedigree. He hit Jericho in the ribs with the sh- sledgehammer, and Stephanie got some slaps in for good measure. Um, he nailed uh, Triple H nailed uh, Jericho in the head again, this time with the sledgehammer, and Jericho was bleeding from the mouth and head as he was stretched out as Hunter and friends celebrated. Uh, Dan, um, been going on a few months, sort of on and off, but really heated up. And this sort of culminated on TV here ahead of the fully loaded pay-per-view. What have you made of Triple H and Chris Jericho so far? And what did you make of this angle on the 10th? Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think Rory has probably more to say about it because I know he's he's a real big fan of logical storytelling. Uh, I think what Triple H has done for Jericho is he's made him just that little bit more legitimate um, and has given Jericho an opportunity to use what he's incredibly gifted at, which is his charisma and his, you know, just general rock star personality humor, you know, just the line you mentioned there about having action with, with Stephanie, you know, got a chuckle from Roy, which is always, you know, a good sign because if that works for cynical wrestling fans like us, it's going to get huge pops out of the, general kind of like casual audience who go to raw because it's in their hometown that's always good um and yeah i I just i think the fact that this has been in the works for almost three months and it's finally coming to a boil now is again really good testament to long-term storytelling because it's believable why jericho is pissed off with with triple h for all these reasons that we've talked about before they just have a, they both of them have had other business to attend to with with Benoit and The Rock, and now they finally have been able to move on and actually you know kick each other's asses. And when that long term storytelling is is implemented, it's always really more I don't know, it's more interesting to kind of discuss and to kind of think about how these characters can play out each other. And as long as the feud is good, and as long as it comes out of making both people look better then it's not doesn't feel as throw away and doesn't feel as slapdash like i think back to val venus versus mankind you know you know when autumn of 1999 the aim was to get a mid carder into the upper into the upper card or even the main event and it failed miserably because it felt like they were just slapdashing this feud on just because they wanted to try something but as this feels a lot more organic it feels a lot more logical and it to me worked a lot better than than other attempts that have come previously Rory uh, you were on the uh, April show and we uh, covered that fake Jericho title win extensively him just handing the belt back um, although he he had not won the title fairly, um, we're, we're a couple of months down the line and we're here. We've got the big last man standing match for Fully Loaded. Um, but it seems to me we can talk about Triple H and Chris Jericho on a fairly even kill at this stage, which is something that we couldn't have said back in April. No, not indeed. When the sawn-off midget did the decent thing an hour after the phantom match and laid down for the pedigree and the very slow counts, an even keel they most certainly were not on. In the build-up to this pay-per-view, some might say three months too late, 
they got there. I called fully loaded the glass ceiling pay-per-view in the news headline. So we'll, we'll get to that, whether we think that was cracked through or not a bit later on. But this match in particular showed how important building towards these shows is, especially B pay-per-views where they're not going to sell themselves. And Jericho was made to look every bit of Triple H's equal to the point where DX had to formulate a watertight plan in order to get the better of him. Because in the two weeks building up to that Raw, including the ones we had the final week of June, Jericho was getting the upper hand and very easily getting the upper hand as well. I'm surprised that was permitted, if you know what I mean. It was so meticulously done. There wasn't, as a pro wrestling fan, if the worst thing, the only criticism you can make about a through show storyline is that it was rather convenient that the cameras were on them at all times. If that is the only criticism you can levy, then you know you're dealing with something very special. And we had that here. Going all the way back to the start where we had Rodog thinking he was going to beat Chris Jericho and that would be the end of it. But he lost the match because he went outside of his own comfort zone opted to go for a moonsault for some reason and lost shortly afterwards because of it. He even mentioned that backstage. DX are flustered, no idea what to do. Triple H has a pop at them. He and Stephanie have a conflap in the bathroom at all places, and clearly designed on the hoof. Nobody in their right mind was going to believe what Stephanie was saying about Jericho. And you could tell in Jericho's delivery, hugely talented performer that he is, that his character didn't believe it either. So you knew that he was going to fool DX fall on them at this point so when they came out they knew full well how bad the plan was as well they knew he wasn't going to come out lured him then into a false sense of security by having triple h and x-buck beat each other up and they even covered that when in the one thing i would have changed about this when the road dog finally came down the ramp brandishing the sledgehammer with his Elmer Fudd face for some reason. I would have changed that, but never mind. When Jericho came down because he saw Triple H outside, thought he had a chance. I'll just at the back of my head, I thought, hang on a minute, wait one second. Why would Triple H and X Pac beat each other up just for the sake of getting to Jericho? And then they explained that. You know, they were nursing their own injuries at the end of it. You had X Pac saying it was all worth it. Nothing was left to chance here. And that's testament to all the performers involved. Aside, and especially for Chris Kresge, who's been head of the creative team since he who shall not be named left in October. Uh, I've got the sense that he hasn't really been able to run with things yet. But with this in-show storyline here on the 10th and another slow burn one, we will talk about a bit later on, he is really getting the opportunities Apparently, we've alluded to this briefly in the past, he really goes through with the talent backstage what he wants them to do on the Raws and the Smackdowns, has a clear idea of a beginning, a middle and an end. Imagine that. He storyboards, he makes sure everything makes sense, he covers up all the plot holes. And isn't that a refreshing change after the Crash Smash Bash TV we had for two and three years? Not only does it make compelling viewing in the moment, it leads to elevating new stars. Right now, at least, I can't see the downside. Yeah, Dan, um, I'm not sure how closely you've um, followed the year of WWF TV um, and throughout the months that you haven't been 
on the show. Um, but I mean, you said right at the top, um, things things are quite different. Um, and I think a lot of the credit has to go to Chris Kresge there, um, as Rory rightly points out. Um, as someone who maybe, I mean, watched a, has watched a hell of a lot of WWF TV, but maybe not both shows every week, um, coming back into it and seeing things how they are in July, when you do have storylines like this so perfectly mapped out throughout a show, as opposed to that, and I, I am going to say his name, Vince Russo <laughs> car crash style. Um, <laughs> what, what, do, what do you make of it all? Like uh, as, as a sort of fan um, exposed to, to both types, but without maybe the, the sort of the slow burn switch between them. Um, I'm trying to word this correctly. You don't realize how, how I watched something and enjoyed something until you get an, a better version of it. And then you're like, bloody hell, this is like jumping from a five or six out of 10 product to a nine. And, but the raw ingredients are still there. I mean, we're still getting a ton of interference. We're still getting, you know, interwoven storylines, but it's so much more logical. It's so much more organic. It's not just like, oh, yeah, we'll just throw someone, something out there and that we find just because it's unpredictable, brother. You know, as, as Roy's given loads of examples there, the, the storylines make sense. The characters are a lot more well-rounded i think but the and crucially i think the matches are probably a lot longer they're not as i don't know interjected with loads tons of interference the interference is only used when necessary it's not a, a requirement um and it just it just doesn't seem to be as i don't know there's a t- in, in Bruce, it's very difficult to say, but when Vince Russo was writing, you could see that, that he was more interested in starting ideas off and then have it. He had another good idea, and he'd be like, Okay, let's throw this at the wall. And then someone would be like, Well, what about um, this storyline over here? Oh, yeah, we'll work it out later on. Just just you go out there and, and do your thing, and we'll, and it was going to work. Whereas this is a lot more okay. We've, we've got this good idea with Jericho winning the WF title by, quote, fluke. And, okay, well, that's a really good idea. We'll park that there, but this could be the starting point of something that's really good. He's got a big feud with Benoit going right now, which was excellent. And then let's revisit this down the line. If this was Vince Russo, there would, that would happen, and then Jericho would be right back down the... Well, you know, he would be probably down the mid card feuding with somebody else, and this wouldn't be referenced again. To me, I think that's the biggest change that's happened here. Things joined up. Things are joined up here. There are, lo- there are logical actions that are, that are happening all across the card. Um, and there's obviously casualties, and you know, short term booking still has to happen because it's TV, and there's there is still as bad as they are. There's still a big competitor across the across the states down south trying their best an element of of playing to tv but it is night and day better and i do think there's another thing as well which is that the crowd seem to be a lot more forgiving not forgiving but they just seem to be a lot more um 
oh, the cowards are a lot more over than they used to be back in in 1999, and not for the wrong reasons. You know, the 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 good father, as as, as an example, was over because of the hose he brought out, and he references that in his his promo um, at the last SmackDown of the year. I don't think that's the case anymore with the vast majority of, of the talents. They are over because they're good characters or they're good wrestlers and not because they say offensive stuff or they push the button, so to speak. Um, Jericho is probably the, the example of a character who's probably closer to the line with some of the stuff he says about Stephanie but the crowd and the crowd eat it up. But I really can't think of many outright examples of, of, of characters who are outright offensive or outright saying offensive stuff that are over anymore uh, so that's another positive in that regard I think you made a really great point about sort of the, the crowd and, and how th- there's just so many more people who are over at the moment than, than maybe ever before in my time on this podcast um, I mean I've, I only have to go back <laughs> to last year um and uh i'm looking at the two cards um fully loaded 1999 and fully loaded 2000 (laughs) and it is night and day and and i think with the exception of maybe uh well with the exception of taz and al snow um granted there's only eight matches on fully loaded this year but with the exception of Tazanel, so there's someone who's very over the crowd in every single one of those matches top to bottom um, and it's for a variety of reasons as well. Like you have someone like Edge and Christian who are over in a heel tag team way. They 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 get that reaction, um, a lot of comedy, wacky heel comedy. And then you have someone like the Hardy Boys, another tag team, but they're over for the complete opposite reason. Someone like Edge and Christian, someone like Rikishi, who's <laughs> over for another uh, in another way to someone like Triple H and Chris Jericho, like. Um, you've got it top to bottom and I go, I go back 12 months and I look through this card and it's, it's, it's quite miserable reading. And I think I you forget how quickly they have really begun to turn it around. And 1999 was a really good year for the company. Maybe not in terms of like show to show quality, but in terms of business, but some of the matches here, just picking off at random, Jeff Jarrett, he's uh, winning the intercontinental title. Um, you had D'Lo versus Midian, Big Boss Man on there, Big Show v Kane, Ken Shamrock versus Steve Blackburn. Um, I'm, I, and I mean, like, no disrespect to any of those guys, but I, I they just weren't in the same position with the fans, um, that a large part of this roster is now. Um, and I, I think it just speaks to an emphasis on longer term booking. Um, and I think that Vince Russo philosophy is quite often you'll, you can have something thrown out in the first hour of a show. And then by the time you get to the end of it, it's already forgotten about and they've gone back on it twice. Um, whereas here, it's not that they never renege on any stipulations or anything like that. It's, it's just, if they put a grain of something in the, the opening hour of a raw, then that might pay off in free rules time or it might pay off on the pay-per-view or whereas WCW, it might never pay off and 
or if it does, it will be it will either be five minutes later or never. Like whereas here, there's an edge of unpredictability in that you don't know when it will pay off because the storylines are unique, the storylines are different, and they kind of just plan them out. That's what it feels like. They found like planned out and logical storylines, um, and it it was genuinely one of the best months of WWF TV. Um, I can remember. I each show was good in its yeah, own I way. Would, if anybody missed, this is probably uh, if anybody didn't I don't think I've ever recommended a whole month of television before with good reason but I would recommend if you do have the spare time to watch every Raw and Smackdown from July of 2000 that we've just finished I can't think of anything there that was almost even below average let alone bad everything meant something even this new team of D'Lo Brown and Chaz were over his heels and they've been getting wins on heat so they mean something as well Everybody has a reason to exist. And I remember a couple of years ago, there was a bit of debate on this program that we didn't think, I think it was Adam who mainly voiced this view, that he didn't think that everybody should have something to do on the roster, that you have your winners and you have your losers and you know, rich man at his castle, poor man at his gate type of thing. And I could see where he was coming from. But here, everybody really does have a reason to be there. And unlike a year, two years ago, where it was for the sake of getting the company over. Now they've done that. It is about getting themselves over and it's working across the board. And it's not even like the gold standard I have always gone to is WCW June, July, 1996 with the NWO beginning to form up. Yeah. But there's, and the, but that has a 10 out of 10 angle. And then uh, just, just throw away this other thing. That on on the card, which had maybe a good wrestling, but these guys are just wrestlers. This is like six to eight out of ten across the board, with you know, like little gem highlights of of Edge and Christian coming out with giant cowboy hats, <laughs> or Mick Foley just being hilarious, or The Rock being a great champion. It's just 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 everybody across the card is doing something good or entertaining, even if there's nothing that is like go out of your way to watch this angle that makes sense it's all just it's all just very good good tv and personally i'd rather have that because you know if you had one outstanding angle you what you're watching for something to happen but you kind of tune out halfway through and you're like watching i don't know hugh morris versus i don't know chavo guerrero and say that that'll be fine or whatever but this is like, I don't know, I'll, I'll, I'll keep watching, you know. You can, might get to see Trish and Lita, or you might get to see, you know, we haven't even talked about the Dudley Boys yet. You know, we might get to see, you know, just all of these characters. Oh, too cool. Too cool with tag champions last month, and they've just disappeared. <laughs> like, this is, you're in an amazing state when you have got incredibly overact that you can just bench for a month. While we let the other really over talent carry on for a bit, you know, that just shows you how much of depth they've got right now. And it's 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 kind of like this self fulfilling prophecy where that Vince Russo philosophy is kind of like the fear that at all times, if you don't do something to keep the attention of the viewer, 
they will be picking up that remote and changing channel to your competitor. And, and, and kind of like that fear, whether it's rational or not, um, is, is, is kind of like costing them dearly. Um, because you don't need like a mile a minute TV. And I, this certainly isn't that from the WWF. It's, it's just logical and well-paced and, it's the storylines that grip you. It isn't like you need a big spot on a big angle every three minutes. And the famous episode of this show where Eric and Bob minute by minute, play by play an episode of Nitro. And it probably goes longer than our entire review of fully loaded. (laughs) Um, And, and that they probably didn't cover it in all the depth they could have. Like you don't, you don't need that. That isn't what keeps people watching. That's what burns people out. What keeps people watching is storylines and characters they're invested in. And the WWF have got those foundations completely locked down throughout this month. And I agree with Rory. Um, If you don't watch all TV um, and you just listen along and maybe watch the pay-per-views, I would go out of your way to watch Raw and SmackDown for this month. And and like Dan says, it's not like there's no um, NWO formation level angle here, but it's just good to great wrestling TV um, at a constant and it's logical and it builds a pay-per-view well, a pay-per-view delivers and then they come out of it and they keep the momentum going. Um, so yeah, huge thumbs up, I think from all three of us here for what the WWF is, is doing right now and, and the product they've put out this month. Mick Foley. After all the history that you and The Rock have been through, after all the cage matches, the ladder matches, I quit matches, last man standing matches, The Rock says, welcome back. What? Welcome back. All right. Oh, please. A lot of respect between those two men, King. Where's the fencing when you need it? Thank you, Rock. And let me congratulate you now, five-time WWF champion. Not only that, but I've got to say, Rock, that has got to put you right up there in the elite list of the greatest WWF champions of all time. Oh, boy. Liam getting sugar diabetes. And I want to know one thing. How does that make you feel? Well, the rock it doesn't is- matter how it makes you feel. Foley, 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 Foley. That was a good one. I gotta give him credit. Oh, Commissioner, he read the last smile. <laughs> I finally got you. I finally got you. Um, another aspect of WWF TV, and, and this is going to sound rather strange to listeners following the uh, enormous praise we've just given the product here, but I'd like to talk about Shane McMahon and by virtue, the uh, WWF Championship program. Um, but before we get to Shane, there is a sensational promo segment we have to touch on. Um, he is introduced in the segment, but... Uh, we, we just have to discuss what happens first. So we hear from Commissioner Foley. Um, he said, 
He's out. He's happy to be here. He says he's got the greatest job in the world. He's had one week as commissioner of the WWF, and look what's happened. The stock is going through the roof, and they've got themselves a new WWF champion, The Rock. He says that as commissioner, he has to make decisions he knows are not going to be with pop- going to be popular. So with regret, he announces that he will be banning the worm, which draws massive boos from the crowd. Foley said he's just kidding because he loved that move. Foley says he has an important decision to make about the number one contender, but Triple H and Kurt Angle screwed up the whole thing. Tonight in Orlando, Florida, cheap pop, the possibilities are wide open. The Rock makes his entrance to a huge reaction and talks about all the history that him and Mick Foley have been through while listing their previous matches and stipulations. The Rock welcomes Foley back and they shake hands. Foley congratulates Rock on being a five-time WWF champion while JR notes that The Rock is still only 28. Foley says that this makes puts Rock in the list of elite and the greatest WWF champions of all time. And he asked The Rock, how does that make him feel? The Rock goes to answer and Foley cuts him off with a, it doesn't matter how it makes you feel. <laughs> Foley celebrates around the ring, chanting Foley, laughing about how he finally got it. And the crowd and myself absolutely loved it. Dan, before we get on to Shane, what did you make of that little segment? If there's, if there's anybody who watched that segment and didn't smile, then you are a heartless bastard and you need to stop rushing wrestling because it's not the show for you. Like, even, even The Rock smiled. Mr. Professional, Mr. Cool himself, even couldn't hold his character, even couldn't hold his character and broke smiling. That's how good and how heartwarming McFoley as the commissioner is. Rory. Yeah, it was clearly a real smile. We've seen a lot of examples of The Rock's smile. This was Dwayne Johnson's smile. And you know what? Foley, he had me there as well. I didn't see it coming until he was already bombing through the ropes and starting his lap of honour. We talked about Foley running around the ring to celebrate January 1999. This ran it very, very close. It was a wonderful moment and quite rightly will be being played on this very programme. It was fantastic and if anybody deserved that it was Mick himself it's just so glorious unfortunately Shane McMahon interrupts berating the fans slowly and complaining about the balance of power in the WWF he feels that he should be deciding the number one contender not Foley Foley deliberately mishears this and asks Shane if he thinks that he should be the number one contender Shane desperately says no but Foley asks The Rock if he heard Shane say that the Rock says it sounds like Shane wants to be the number one contender. Foley says he watched the tape of Shane going through that table. He saw that testicular fortitude in Shane, and Shane's got it. Foley announces that the new number one contender for tonight is Shane McMahon. Despite the pleas of Pat Patterson and Joe Briscoe backstage, Foley is insistent, and the match is set for the main event. So later in the show, Shane enters for his WWF title match. He complains to The Rock highlighting his injury sustained back at King of the Ring. He offers to align with The Rock, who retaliates with a punch in the face. And we are underway. The Rock hits a spine buster. He sets up for the people's elbow, but suddenly Chris Benoit runs in and attacks The Rock with a steel chair for the DQ. Benoit destroys Rocky with a chair, locks him in the crossface for nearly a full minute. Shane joins in with a beatdown, and Benoit... Uh, with Benoit, and with the sh- and the show ends with Shane holding Chris Benoit's arm aloft in victory. The next week on Raw, we open with Shane and Chris Benoit in the ring. 
Shane says that everybody was wondering what the relationship is with him and Chris Benoit. Shane just says they're friends because Chris Benoit will be the next WWF champion. Shane says he's always respected Benoit, but and he's grown to admire what he stands for. Shane talks about the things that Benoit, what he likes about Chris Benoit, such as being cold-hearted, ruthless, and an equal opportunity offender. So there we have it. Chris Benoit is our number one contender for the WWF title. He'll be in the main event title picture for the fully loaded pay-per-view. And we have a new alliance formed between Chris Benoit and Shane McMahon. Rory, what did you make of this pairing? Um, I, I think we'll all be very pleased to have Chris Benoit positioned as the number one contender for the WWF title. But in all my fantasy booking uh, scenarios, I, I didn't have Shane McMahon in his corner. Uh, no, Shane McMahon and fantasy do not make easy bedfellows for good reason. But I think it's pretty shrewd, really. And this is why, despite him going after The Rock and down and ripping his head off at every turn to make himself the number one contender to the point where Rock snapped on more than one occasion, leading to the stipulation we'll talk about later, despite all of that, and that the WWF fan base is a many splendid thing these days. Pairing Benoit with Shane is rather wise because I think without that, Benoit would get more than a few smatterings of cheers from a lot of people. Other than or the 20 or 30 smart Billy Johnsons who always get into the front rows of shows, apart from those, he's getting boos all across the cosmos, which he need or needed going into this match. And it looks like they're carrying on as a heel stable onwards. He's going to require people would want to get behind him because of his work rate. And when he calls himself the best technical wrestler in the WWF ad nauseum, he of course does so for bloody good reason. So let's not use that as a reason to get behind him. Let's use that as an example for Shane to jump on his coattails and Shane being a pussy. Yeah, I said it out loud too. Benoit is getting instant heat. Makes him look like a contender, because whether we like it or not, if you are aligned with a McMahon, then you're pretty important around these parts. Make him look like somebody who can really hang with The Rock. Never mind in-ring, I mean as a character. We'll talk about the in-ring later. And a fully deserving, based on what he did on camera, number one contender. This wasn't just your piece of shit, pay-per-view coming up we need somebody to face the rock in six days time no benoit was legit because of this against the nuances it's paying attention to the characters so we as viewers will pay attention to them and that is why we deem them as important and why even for the casuals who might not have known about chris benoit's other brilliance would deem that yes i don't like this guy but he has every right to challenge the rock for the title on the pay-per-view They've done it again. Guys, this is fast becoming our most popular, popular, populist, pop anything show so far. And uh, I kind of hope something's coming along soon for us to just to take the negative viewpoint. We're gushing rather a lot here. Oh, I've just seen the pay-per-view. There'll be something along soon. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dan, what do you make of Chris Benoit as the number one contender for the WWF title? It's very weird that they've booked a guy who is not six foot five and 220 pounds as as more of a vicious heel in 
in his first six months in the company than they did with the big show who was meant to be the giant unstoppable monster heading into this year's wrestlemania and for me benoit is is a vicious contender but just based on the fact that you could see what he did with jericho just two months ago these two had absolutely incredible stiff really like just you don't, that's one of those matches where I can just see watching that and going Benoit can literally just walk into the main event right now but I have to obviously recognize that there are other people in wrestling audiences who do need a little bit of personality and you know you can only play up the Mr. Roboto I have no emotions I am you know just here to wrestle and prove me wrong, etc., to be a, a contender against someone who has is magnetic a personality and as charismatic as The Rock. Say you what you want to about how overexposed he is, but Shane McMahon can compete to some extent with The Rock in terms of microphone and in terms of being a heat magnet, as Rory said. So, a, a necessary pairing, but for me, I I could. This is just me personally. Chris Benoit has been booked to be a top-level main eventer since his debut in February time, based on, and has got that down, in my opinion. Dare I say as well, his mic work isn't that bad either. It's the stick, the only stick you can really beat him with, and people have over the last four or five years. But I think, well, I certainly wouldn't call him accomplished, I think he more than gets his point across. It's not as if they're just relying on Shane to do his talking for him. Uh, he's he's getting by on the mic with the rock, for goodness sake. And that's another huge check mark. And I think that's, again, where this character suits him so much more. That I think cutting a babyface promo when your other babyfaces have been the rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Mm-hmm. Has Chris Benoit got the charisma for that? No, probably not. Um, has he got the charisma to pull off being this just violent, ruthless heel? Like, absolutely. Like, is a very different type of promo, very different mic work. And I think he's doing a, a, a very good job. And I think he did a good job throughout the month. Um, and like you say, I, I was a little bit worried at first that it was just going to be Shane on the mic. Um, and stylistically, Shane on the mic, Chris Benoit in the ring isn't the best like most logical pairing but i think um yeah benoit's definitely holding his own in that regard um and i was really pleased to see him in this position um way up the card in the main event of the pay-per-view um and uh rather than someone like the big show and with that we have made it to the fully loaded pay-per-view um rory would you take us through the results here we go then. So, the Hardy Boys and later defeated TNA and Trish Stratus in a mixed tag team match to open us up. Uh, Taz beat Al Snow by submission. Perry Saturn beat Eddie Guerrero with four, the European Championship. Uh, the APA defeated Edge and Christian in a tag team match for the tag team championship, but only by disqualification. Val Venus retained his intercontinental title in a steel cage match against Rikishi. The Undertaker defeated Kurt Angle. There it is. Triple H defeated Chris Jericho in a last man standing match. And in our 
in our final main event of three, The Rock eventually defeated Chris Benoit to retain the WWF Championship. Dan, what did you make of Fully Loaded? Very, very, very good in light with everything that we've talked about with WWF. I don't think you can have a, a good month for TV as, as that and not have a very good pay-per-view based on the talent that was available. I don't think it is a show of the year contender, though, which I will discuss later on, which compa- which might be a little bit of a downgrade based on what other people have said so far. Rory? Interesting, interesting. So just for now, I will say this. I call it the glass ceiling show. I wouldn't say it was smashed through, but the damage that has been done to it, it's going to take more than Honest John, who leaves the engine running, to fix it. The newbies are coming through, everybody. We'd better watch out. Oh, and The Undertaker one as well. yes if it's negativity you want just wait about 45 minutes i'm storing it up and i'm gonna let rip then (laughs) be warned everybody i think we're all looking forward to that one (laughs) so live from a sold out reunion arena in dallas texas jim ross and jerry lawler welcome us to the show we open with a mixed tag team match with the hardy boys and lita taking on the team of test albert and trish stratus the hardys and lita rush around the ring and uh, we start with a brawl. Lita goes after Trish, but she gets away thanks to Test before Matt and Albert start out as the legal men, with Albert whipping Matt into the turnbuckle and throwing him across the ring. Matt charges, but Albert counters with a back body drop, and Matt slips and bumps to the floor. That looked nasty. Test tags in, but Matt gets the upper hand and hits a leg drop off the middle ropes. The Hardys hit a double-team back elbow, and Jeff gets a two-count after a splash before Test comes back with a sidewalk slam. At this point, the fans start chanting, we want puppies, as Jeff kicks Tess down and hits a crossbody block over the top to the floor. Tess with a boot to the face of Matt and Trish tags, tags in. Matt avoids a slap and gets a roll up on her and Tess breaks up the pin. Tess with a DDT on uh, Matt before Trish misses an elbow drop and Lita gets the tag to a huge pop. Trish tags out pretty quickly and the big man Albert is tagged in for his team. The Hardys go after him with Jeff hitting the poetry in motion corner uh, corner attack followed by a double suplex by the Hardys. They get a suplex spot with both Hardys and Lita hitting a suplex on Test and Trish at the same time. Uh, the Hardys take their shirts off to celebrate and Lita takes hers off too, revealing a sports bra type top underneath, which still gets a huge pop. These fans loved Lita. Lawler wanted to take his shirt off too, to which JR says, please don't. TNA regained as <laughs> I say all of us TNA regained control following a slam on Jeff until he avoids a corner charge which leads to a sunset flip for two Test with a four Nelson slam followed by a chin lock Jeff fights out but runs straight into a power bomb. Test goes up top takes too long and misses an elbow drop Matt gets the tag he hits a clothesline off the top Test comes back with a pump handle for two but Jeff hits another splash which gets two when Albert breaks up the cover Albert tries a power slam but Matt turns it into a DDT Lita tags in again. She hits a tornado DDT off the middle ropes on Test. She goes up top and hits a crossbody block on Albert on the floor. She goes up top again and hits a hurricane runner off the top on Test for a two count. It's a wonder why she's over. Albert hits Lita in the back and gets te- hits Test with a gut wrench power block. Um, Trish gets the tag for her team and she covers Lita for a two. Trish grabs a headlock leading to a bulldog for a two count. 
She goes up top and Lita follows her. Lita hits a superplex off the top, which gets two when Albert breaks up the cover again. The Hardys uh, take out Tester Albert and the four men brawl on the floor. Lita goes up top. She hits a moonsault on Trish. This time it's enough for the free count and the Hardys and Lita pick up the win. Rory, what did you make of this? Yeah, last month, Chris, we talked about how foolish the WWF were to change their style of opener on a pay-per-view, where they went with a three-minute Rikishi-Chris Benoit match that ended in a disqualification. And not just any disqualification, a very stupid disqualification. When for the previous two months, they kicked things off with a hot tag team match. Well, as they do through most of this pay-per-view, they reverted to recent type and how. We talked about the build for many of two big matches for this pay-per-view. Let's not sleep on how they built this one as well. The fans were baying for Lita to finally get hers on Trish. Sorry, sorry. Get hers on that witch Trish Stratus. Got to get that one right. And they were baying for her to do so. To the point where all Trish had to do was tag out and the heat she got was fucking molten. And when, when it finally came down to them, the crowd got what they wanted and the roof nearly did come off the place. Maybe they did smash through the glass ceiling early after all. The Hardys are always going to give you all they've got, especially in an opener when the onus is on them to keep the crowd up. You know they can do it. This is how you use TNA in a match like this with people who can just bounce around for them. You can quibble the test having to sell a Hurricanrana from Lita as much as I enjoyed seeing it. Does push the boundaries of believability a little, but I don't think anybody at the time was too bothered about that. This was a cathartic match. And again, in the opening match of a B-level pay-per-view. Come back to it. Everything matters. This wasn't just a throwaway hot tag team match like we had at, say, Backlash or Judgment Day. It existed for a reason and had some pretty fast-paced action, considering one of the teams who was in there. They lifted their game as well, let's be fair. And the right team won, and the face got hers over the heel, and the heel got some more heat back at the end. <sighs> Other than my breath, what more can anybody ask for at this point? <laughs> <Oof>. Dan. <laughs> I genuinely don't know how you could criticise this match or any of the characters that are involved or the build coming into it. Like, not only do you have the almost always very good um, or good speed versus strength pairing with the Hardy Boys and TNA being competent in the ring at, at worst and the Hardy Boys are just continuing to be proven to be excellent young workers, but you also have a genuine, genuine heated feud where two women are the focus and it's not about who has the best body or who has sold the most playboy copies or who has the best hair they genuinely hate each other they're interesting characters and they're pushing their limits of what to expect on WFTV from 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 women you've had we've had two years of terry and sable and cat and oh it's, it's been crap and then these two come along and it's just night and day Lita's gone through a table from a ladder bump that's been whipped with a belt which has left marks all over her and Trisha's been booted in the face and let's not forget she went through a table like a like was it with a bump that was worse than most men would take three months ago. This is what can be so great with intergender wrestling. 
um, and stuff with, you know, Lita taking out Tess and Albert and almost pending Tess. And, and for one glorious second, you think this is actually the finish of the match. These are going to pin Tess. And it's belie- and, and Roy has mentioned believability. For me, Rey Mysterio is doing exactly the same thing in WCW to keep mm. like Kevin Nash. Fair. Why can't Lita do it? Like, she's Fair. taller than Rey Mysterio. She is probably the same height and weight as Rey Mysterio. The only difference is that she's a woman. And that shouldn't be, you know, one, two, three kid was pinning Razor Ramon four or five, five years ago. And, and, like, if we want someone who is a believable underdog to go up against big bruisers, the way to do it is through acrobatic moves. And yes, she's incredibly raw. It's nowhere near as crisp as the cruiserweights, but Lita's offense is believable to me. And that's why it's so amazing. And just to make it that little bit better, Tess hits her with a huge power bomb and she sells it. Like that is okay. If this was just Lita beating up the men, then it would be a bit kind of, okay, you're just going a little bit too far now, but it's believable because they give it back to her and she takes it like a champ and it doesn't feel uncomfortable either. So for me, I just thought this match was a, a, a hopefully a little bit of an insight of what could happen if an underdog version of China is is permitted back into the male's wrestling because China's backed away from this now. And I would like to see more intergender wrestling because I, I do think it can be really good if done correctly. And then again, just to add more praise to this match, Lisa and Trisha are superplex from two women. Again, Trish in particular, who is not a trained wrestler in like a Lundra Blaze, Borna Kano, Japanese style, even ECW with jazz level, to hit a superplex just shows you that these two women are willing to do so much for the enjoyment of the fans. And as long as it doesn't go too far, like this is the attitude I want in my talent. You know, to to go. Okay, we're willing to go the extra mile here, as long as it's all safe and it's but something that we are comfortable doing. That level of commitment is is incredible. I, I genuinely think in Lita and, and Trish, we've got two characters in the women's wrestling who could lead the company. And if they want to bring in Jazz or they want to sign other women from around the Indies. Lisa and Trish are two people they can build a division around in the same way that Edge and Christian and Hardy Boys were two people that they have home almost homegrown into being the leading lights of a tag division that was crap two years ago. Let's hope that this is the start of something different with the women's division for next year because it was that close to winning the uh, Wahoo Award last year. And in these two women, we've got people that can lead us out of the storm. Outstanding opener. Yeah, I, I, there's not much more I can say. This was a sensational opening match for for the show. Super over. Um, TNA is probably the best they've ever looked, um, at least in my memory. And on your point, Rory, about um, Lita hitting Tess with a Harakamrana and the, sort of the believability, I've, you, you've nailed it when you say, uh, I don't think people cared in the moment. Looking through my sort of notes of my thoughts on this match i didn't even mention it like i didn't even come into my head i think i just like caught up in how great this match was how great lita was actually how great all six people involved were um really um and and when you maybe take that in isolation and say test selling a hurricane runner from lita maybe that sentence sounds a bit it would make you think but i think in in uh, the reality of watching this show didn't even enter my mind. Um, 
I thought this was uh, yeah, brilliant. A great tag match, uh, some great intergender wrestling, and some great women's wrestling, um, which is just <laughs> such a relief for some of the monstrosities we've had to see on pay-per-view in particular with the women over the last couple of years, um, which have quite often been the low, lowest of the lows for the WWF. Um, and this was anything but, yeah, a sensational opening match. Just quickly on Lita, make no mistake, she has got herself over. I mean, it was only three months ago she was slumming it in the lower mid-card with S.A. Rios, for goodness sake. And some people have said that the reason she's so popular is because she's paired with the Hardys and it's just happening through osmosis. And there might be something in that, but look at the risks she takes. She is somebody who I would imagine a lot of young girls could really relate to here in the year 2000. Uh, tomboyish, hangs out with the cool kids, but is not trying to mix it up herself and show why she belongs there. It's still very early days. I think Dan has hinted at it. If they play it right with her, they could could have a real organic female superstar on their hands. And I really hope that they do. So post-match, um, Albert comes back and hits Lita with a clothesline um, before he and Test uh, beat up the Hardy some more. He gives Trish his belt, and Trish hits Lita repeatedly with it, whipping her all over the place with the belt before um, they're chased away by the Hardys. But yeah, Lita, poor Lita, takes a good beating after the match here. We cut backstage and we see new WWF commissioner Mick Foley. He's informed by Edge that his partner Christian is violently ill, and the, the team won't be able to defend their tag team titles tonight. Unconvinced, Foley believes Christian to have a case of Frady Cat's-itis, <laughs> but he promises to send a doctor to check anyway. We also see the American badass Undertaker arrive at the arena, driving around backstage on his motorbike, giving chase to a clearly petrified Kurt Angle. Next up, we have a singles match with Taz taking on Al Snow. We got some clips of Taz attacking guys like Rikishi, Kane, Scotty Too Hotty in recent weeks, building up to this match. Snow gets a start with a back elbow, followed by a Russian leg sweep that leads to Taz bailing to the floor. Back in the ring, they exchange some punches and Snow avoids a clothesline. Snow hits a sit-out spinebuster for two. Taz comes back, um, catches Snow on his shoulders and slamming him down. Snow comes back with a punch, a clothesline and a body slam, going up top, hitting a lead drop, going up top again and hitting a moonsault for two. The fans begin chanting, brawling, even following those two top rope moves. Snow grabs head and they cheer because apparently mannequins are not boring. Taz capitalizes on that with a chop block um, with the shoulder to the back of the leg. Uh, Taz hits some forearms and Snow comes back with some headbutts and the fans start to wake up. Snow follows with a hard kick to the chest. Taz catches Snow and hits an overhead suplex across the ring. Um, he locks in the Taz mission. Snow fights out of it. He gets it again. And Snow fights out again, but he locks it in for the third time and Snow taps out uh, just past the five-minute mark. Rory. Yeah, with Taz, the way they debuted him at the Royal Rumble, I could not believe what I was seeing. Now, talk about having a new star on their hands. This guy was fast track level, the way they handled him. But then almost as suddenly, it's as if somebody told Vince that, no, they weren't just looking at him through the telescope the wrong way around, if you know what I mean, and has been treated accordingly over the last six months. But they're having another pop with him. 
It's not exactly Geoffrey Chaucer, the storylines that Taz is having behind him. He's coming out and beating up random baby faces, sometimes with a camera, sometimes with, without. Not especially complex, but effective for somebody who's been dumped so low down the totem pole as him. Slowly, slowly is probably where they're going with this. I don't know where it's going to end up. But for a second from bottom match against Al Snow... Beating up random baby faces for two or three weeks is probably acceptable enough. And it's one of those, we were burnt six months ago. Let's see how they followed through it here. The match was just okay. Probably would have gone down a bundle in a bingo hall five and a half years ago, maybe, fair to say. Here, the style they were going for seemed lost on the crowd. The fact it was only five minutes probably didn't help them either wasn't especially well structured we had another moonsault just after we had one in the first match to the point where even jerry lawler put, pointed that one out now when he is critiquing critiquing the moves in the match you probably need to ask yourself a question or two but snow was a warm body here he's got his hardcore thing going on relatively harmlessly taz needed a win he got it and that's really all we can say about this one. I'd like to say more about where this is going with Taz, but we know what happened last time, and any moment now, I'm expecting it to happen again. But the match was, the match was there, but it's a win for Taz, so I think he'll take that, at least at the moment. Dan, um, is this your first pay per view exposure to Taz uh, in the WWF this year? And if so, what did you make of it? Uh, I I have seen Taz's debut, and then color me surprised when I find out he's um, no longer coming up with towel and feuding with Al Snow, rather than feuding with people like Jericho or even DX. Uh, I don't know what is. I, I I won't pretend to know what's happened that had made him fall down the card so dramatically and has, has forced him to be repackaged. But he still wrestles like the old Taz in a good way and a bad way in that he is still incredibly impressive with his strength. He still has got all the suplexes and he's put in with a guy who can bump around for him like Snow. They still look impressive. However, he still carries himself like the wrecking machine that was the ECW champion. And if that's a mid, like, that doesn't work as a mid-carder because you're not that guy in WWF right now because for whatever reason... It didn't work. So you need to kind of, I don't know, like carry yourself like a star, but at the same time act like a, a mid-carder working your way up. In the minute, it looked like he was just being uncooperative. You know, just getting up after does snow doesn't move, gets up again, carries on. I don't know whether it was because they were trying to get more stuff into a five-minute match when they laid out it for like an eight-minute match. But yeah, for me, it just... it. This was Taz trying to wrestle like a semi-main event upper mid-card talent when he's actually lower card slash mid-card which isn't which is quite perplexing judging by what happened later in the night he may have bigger fish to fry next month but i wasn't that keen on this match to be honest yeah it was quite a short match um it was okay um i think it probably deserved a bit more from the fans than it got um for the majority of it um I don't 
often like want to see a squash match on pay-per-view in the year 2000 but i think this could have done with being a little bit one a little bit more one-sided in taz's favor um i think if you had plans for taz that were of any real note then it probably would have been um i thought for the most part it didn't it looked like he struggled to put snow away but when you look at Al Snow's position within the company for pretty much his entire run. I don't think that says a great deal about any sort of resurgence that Taz may have. And I can't believe that the Royal Rumble and his debut was this year. It feels like forever ago when you look at what's happened with him since. Um, Yeah, it is a shame. And I think it's like whoever's to blame for how Taz's WWF run has gone. um, I'm not going to speculate, but it's probably one of the bigger downsides and bigger misses the WWF have, have had this year, which is probably a reflection on the fact they've had a really bloody good year. If one of the biggest things is that you haven't got the most out of Taz when they've got so much else going on. Um, but yeah, um, I, I, it ultimately felt a bit pointless. I wasn't back on the Taz hype train here. I don't think it did a great deal for him. So therefore, didn't really justify its place on the card. He might as well have just done the running he did later and had done with it for all the yes. good this match really did. Yeah, definitely. I don't. I don't see what this match achieved, um, which is a shame. And I think if you'd maybe had Taz go in there and just destroy the guy, and you, you don't even need the full five minutes for that, really. Then I, I think you probably could have done a bit more, but that speaks to where they see Taz and where they see Taz moving forward. Um, and I mean, it's not like they're wanting for <laughs> over guys and, and gals on the card. Um, so maybe we need to see a bit more out of Taz before he gets pushed into that position. But um, cause right now it's hard to criticize them and say they're, they're sort of wasting a lot of potential that they are in theory, but in terms of like, their weekly TV and what we see on pay-per-view, there ain't really a spot for him right now. We cut backstage again to Christian throwing up in a cubicle. He comes out as Edge, Foley and a doctor show up. The doctor looks into Christian's eyes with a small torch. I'm not sure what that will tell you about food poisoning, but he says that Christian (laughs) can go tonight. Uh, So Foley gracefully apologizes to Edge and Christian for not believing them earlier, but, and, uh, it, and uh, it looks like we won't be getting a tag title match. We also see Triple H and Stephanie watching the show on the monitor, reacting to what we've just seen. Harvey Whippleman brings in Stephanie another bouquet of flowers to add them to the many that are already in her room. Hunter demands to know who these are from. Steph pleads some innocence and ignorance as to the sender uh, before Hunter rummages around and finds a card attached to them, which reads, Stephanie, best of luck to you and your man tonight. It's true. It's true. Eddie Guerrero is out next uh, uh, with China and his European title to defend it against Perry Saturn. Eddie's in control early with some punches uh, in the corner and a sent on splash. He hits a clothesline that sends Saturn out of the ring. China hits a clothesline on the floor, not seen by the referee. Eddie hits a hurricane runner off the top rope, sends Saturn back outside again with the referee distracted again as China whips him in, Saturn into the steel steps. China hits a forearm to Saturn, 
and Eddie goes up top, jumping onto Saturn with a crossbody block. Uh, back inside, Eddie jumps off the top and hits another Hurricane Rana for a two. He jumps up again and Saturn catches him and hits a power bomb. Eddie comes back with an elbow, followed by a tornado DDT off the ropes. Saturn sets Eddie up on the turnbuckle, going up top and jumping up with a moonsault. Uh, but Eddie moves. Eddie hits a brain buster, goes up top, hits a dive, but Saturn moves too. Um, and Saturn slammed Eddie off the shoulders for a two count. Saturn hits a power slam before punching China, followed by a clothesline on a Spanish announce table that breaks the table. That must have been quite a the week table. That leads to Terry showing back up at ringside. Saturn hides behind her, and Terry hits a low blow uh, to Eddie Guerrero. Saturn shoves Guerrero into the ring post, and the referee's apparently checking on China, so he didn't see any of this. Saturn goes up top. He hits an elbow for the free count, and we have a new European champion. Dan, what did you make of this? Guys, I know it's a Spanish announce table, but you don't need to make it that badly. Don't think I like this much as, as much as most people did. Uh, I don't know what's happened to him, but I thought Saturn in this match was really um, sloppy. Like he, there was a spot where China throws him into the ring steps. He takes like half a second and then bounces back onto the um, guardrail. Looked really hokey. The moonsault, I thought a moonsault was sloppy. And it was one of those things where he's doing impressive stuff on paper, but I just thought his execution was just nowhere near as good as I know he has been in the past. So that took away from me. And then again, we've got the hokey finish with China breaking the announce table based on a close on over the top. Takes you out the match a bit. You've got Saturn pinning Guerrero with an elbow drop to the back. Again, really does that warrant a free count and for me I, I was just there were too many instances in this match for me to really get invested in it for the whole belt to belt action which is annoying because i genuinely thought eddie guerrero as always looked outstanding in this match there's rumors that he's really banged up a little bit in the news but if he is he didn't show it at all I really thought he carried this match over a sloppy Saturn performance into into upper okay territory for me. And him losing the belt is probably good news for him because I like you compare the girl with Taz and it's one of those things where, okay, Taz is very good, but I'm choosing any Guerrero over him every day of the week. So if I got to choose one guy to move up the card, I've got to choose the one of the most outstanding natural talents in of the 90s. So, once again, I think this is one of those instances where the guy losing the belt is no bad thing at all. And I really hope we get to see more of Eddie Guerrero up the cards in the summer uh, going forward. Rory? Yeah, I'm sure Eddie Guerrero is very pleased for his mate. But I do wonder what he really thinks. Now, his buddy there is wrestling The Rock on this pay-per-view for the WWF title. And here he is, third from the bottom jobbing the European title to Perry Saturn after a ball shot on an elbow to the back. Some guys get the breaks, I get. But as Dan has said, Eddie was professional in this match. He still carried it as he had to because Saturn barely showed up. He has no chemistry with Terry whatsoever. I think that partnership is doomed to failure. He just did not want to know in this match, did he? His moves were not tight. This wasn't the Perry Saturn who was 
hitting the upper threes regularly in WCW in 98-99. He looked like somebody who just dragged him off the street after three months of absence, which in reality is what he's been. The other radicals have been doing their thing and he's been doing, well, I'll leave you all to guess. He doesn't have a character of note. Well, he's cross-eyed. That's his character, is it? Okay, you're not going to get too much off me out of that one, no matter how over everybody is allowed to be otherwise. I think even Kresge's got his work cut out with that one. The China stuff went nowhere. They broke the table when they didn't mean to, to the point where they had to rebook the finish for a match later on. And it's one of those where, you know, where Brian Clough said, you know, football would be much easier if it was really played on paper. When you look at Perry Saturn versus Eddie Guerrero on pay-per-view and you start writing out the snowflake straight away, and then the reality hits. And when reality hits in pro wrestling, the results are rarely pleasant. And I'm afraid to say that was the case here. This was a disappointment. But as so often, it was not Eddie's fault. I thought Eddie was tremendous in this match. I thought his, his offense looked good. His character works good. His selling was good. And Saturn did seem a bit lost in there. Um, yeah, I, I thought the finish could have been set up a bit better. It was a bit a bit flat, really. But I think, hopefully, I hope this is the case of... I mean, you, you only go back a couple of months and you have Benoit and Jericho sort of in the European intercontinental title picture, sort of completing the two. And they're, they're not there now. And kind of, you hope the same thing for Eddie, whereas you can only see Saturn sort of lingering down here a bit longer uh, based on this performance. And you'd hope that Eddie would be moving up the card because I think he's just on another level at this stage to someone like Perry Saturn. And, and I, I think he's got the character work that could work in the main event, not necessarily um, like the rocks next opponent is, is not where I'm going, but I just, I just mean, you 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 can get something out of Eddie Guerrero in the main event scene as one of your top sort of six guys. Um, Perry Saturn at this stage, probably not. I I, I thought the match was yeah a bit flat. Um, kind of, I, I don't know. I, I I probably preferred Taz and Al Snow, um, but uh, it it was inoffensive. I, I'd say particularly because Eddie Guerrero was carrying it backstage ed and christian are shown laughing about how they'd fooled mick foley foley returns he questions why christian seems absolutely fine now christian returns to the toilet he pretends to be ill uh foley looks over the stool and he sees christians just pouring stuff into the toilet while retching foley says they're totally busted and their tag match is back on and it's also next ed and christian are out um Edge gets on the mic and he says that Christian really is sick of being in Dallas, Texas. They do some typical heel taunting of local sports teams before Christian says the following line. If JFK spent five more minutes in Dallas, he would have committed suicide anyway. Ouch. The the APA are out. Uh, Bradshaw cuts a very pro-Texas promo, bigging up his home state, firing up the crowd. uh, And we are set for our tag team title match. They start with a brawl on the outside befitting of Bradshaw's passion in his promo and he whips Edge into the steel steps uh, held in place by Farouk. Uh, back inside, Christian tries an, uh, to attack Bradshaw, but he catches him and hits a second rope fall away slam. Farouk and Bradshaw beat, 
bit on edge with Bradshaw hitting a power bomb. He goes for another one, but Christian hits a missile drop kick to stop it. Edge and Christian isolate Bradshaw. They go for a double superplex, but Bradshaw knocks him down and hits a diving shoulder tackle. Bradshaw gets the hot tag on to Farouk, who cleans house and sends Edge outside. Bradshaw goes after Edge, who throws him into the timekeeper and then picks up the tag belt. In the ring, Farouk hits a dominator on Christian and goes for the cover, though technically not the legal man. Edge comes in, hits Farouk in the back with a tag title belt right in front of the referee, calls in the DQ shortly past the five-minute mark. Dan, what do you make of this? Firstly, the most important question that must be asked after this night. How the hell are WWF employing a doctor who got fooled by by a guy pouring soup into a toilet by looking into his eyes? Well, given the WWF's history with doctors, probably best not to raise that question. <laughs> probably just the next one off the production line. Let's say that. <laughs> I legitimately thought that they were going to have like, oh, God, guys, I can't believe I managed to bribe the doctor for $100. You know, but nobody even referenced it anyway. Um, if, the, if the opening match was like speed versus strength at its, at its very best, I, I think this was the mean average of what you can do with two smaller guys and, and two, two horses, but almost one horse, because I think kind of Farouk is, is cooked now. I mean, he can do a very effective spine buster and a dominator to someone who's willing to take it. But apart from that, it's kind of finished now. You can do a very medium tag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it just feels like the acolytes have, have settled into their roles as, as believable challenges. Um, but they're not as... I don't see, they didn't see the hunger I saw maybe last year with them, where they were almost one of the best tag teams of the year. Uh, the answer's over as too cool, who I would have probably given this one final blow off um, based on what I've seen from last month's stuff and what you guys have talked about in terms of how over they've been on, on the show. Um, like Edge and Christian are just incredibly entertaining characters right now. I don't think anyone can deny that. But I I just want to have like a really outstanding match from them as these heels. Like I want to see them have a proper tag classic with someone like too cool the hardy boys or even the dudley boys now that they're sort of tweeners and the acolytes whilst you know serviceable b-level challenges just didn't give me that um it was just okay and i i don't know whether i worked myself into a shoot but i i genuinely hated to finish i mean just outright blatant cheating right in front of the referee kind of fits their characters as ultimate white dorks i just wanted to get away but as as paying, you know, fifteen pounds worth of my cold hard cash, I would like to have seen something better. But then again, they are heels. Sometimes I'm meant to hate them. So the ultimate baby faces can triumph. So I'm not gonna I, I feel like I'm working myself into a shoot on that one. So yeah, just 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 okay for me. I think there's an easy alternative. That's what I begrudged about the finish, in that a a cheap pin works so much better and I think it's easy to to pull that off like Bradshaw is very fired up before the match his promo is like that slandered his home state his hometown he was fuming he was like hothead ready to go and he just like have him do something silly and get caught out with a cheap pin like it's, it's, there was a way to do that that was better than what they did Rory what do you make of it uh, the irony wasn't lost on me because of course when you talk pro wrestling you talk irony don't you but um Bradshaw accusing Edge and Christian of doing 
cheap heat tactics in their promo than going for pops so cheap they made Foley's look like Rockefellers, <laughs> but never mind. Oh, Teams from this state won competitions in sports in years gone by. Yay! <laughs> Still, it, it, it was successful. You, you can't knock success, but... Okay, John. Okay, yeah. Glass houses, my boy. There's, again, there's not a whole lot to talk about here, is there? Bradshaw and Farouk, to a much lesser extent, did their power stuff. Edge and Christian tried to avoid it because that's what they do. And then five minutes later, they gave up. Both of you have alluded to the poorness. I can barely even talk about the match. We like we got to the finish straight after Bradshaw being pumped after his promo. So that's all there really is to talk about. I didn't dislike it very much. That could be because I am so totally biased towards Edge and Christian. I'm sure you will see what I did there. So maybe I'm being kinder to it than I would have been anybody else. But these guys are shitheads and they are going to try to escape with their belts. Looking at it the other way, our main event when we get there is built around a disqualification. So having such a dirt cheap one earlier in the card, one of those things is going to end up being diminished. But as it happens, I think it was this match where it doesn't matter a great deal. The time wasn't right to take the titles off Edge and Christian at this point anyway. They're reeking of you-know-what-osity. I want to see them have a proper heel run with the belt. The APA are not the team to take it off them. They've got their niche now, the APA. I think they need to be away from the title scene. They've still got a place, and we know where it is and what they're doing in it. That's fine. <laughs> they're happy enough. Keep them there. When Edge and Christian lose the belts, and I'm going to say it should be to the Hardys, it should mean something in a knockdown dragout. Spot fest, I'm going to go there as an A-level pay-per-view. So I didn't mind it here, even though I should. But hey, I hold my hands up. I'm biased. Look, look into my eyes and see how biased I am. <laughs> there was an interesting note in the Observer that basically the Fed decided to do this finish exactly because of the main event stipulation. Um, like if they were dead set on having one of the championship matches on the show end via deliberate disqualification just to put onus on the fact that The Rock couldn't do this in the main event. I, How many people watching this show thought that Rock was going to do something like this <laughs> in his main event match and get himself disqualified? I just attack Ben Warren in front of the ref after five Yeah, just, just, just five minutes, just go with the belt. <laughs> um, but apparently that, yeah, okay. that, that was like... Rock goes back in the time machine and, and comes back as Nation of Domination, The Rock. <laughs> what? Who does that help? <laughs> um yeah I, I i thought this was like fine i think i i really really like edging christian so i was probably a little more lenient on the action um i for getting a hot tag is is demoralizing as a viewer <laughs> demoralizing. <laughs> takes the wind out of you. Um, <laughs> yeah um i i do think they could have won with like a cheap pin but i i entirely concur with you Rory like it does suit their characters to just be like absolute doofs and just get DQ'd really blatantly because that's what they are um uh, all in all a pretty inoffensive five minutes um could have been better could have been worse um Edge and Christian are great backstage we see Triple H in the dressing room with Stephanie complaining about Kurt Angle sending her flowers 
Stephanie says that the card doesn't say Kurt's name on it, but Hunter points out that it says it's true, it's true. Stephanie told Hunter to ask Kurt himself, so Hunter left. We then see Kurt Angle walking around backstage with the Undertaker chasing him. Angle keeps saying that he's sorry. Uh, he gets away, grabs a wrench, and hits the Undertaker in the back of the leg before running away some more. Next up, we have a steel cage match with Val Venus defending his Intercontinental title against Rikishi. Uh, so Val immediately tries to escape the cage, but Rikishi drags him down, beats on him and throws him into the cage multiple times. Rikishi tries to escape over the top of the cage, but as the door is opened, Val tries to crawl to make it out. Rikishi sees him and realizes and drags Val back in and gives him a backdrop. Right from the off, the commentary are pushing that Rikishi is too big to climb out and escape the cage, despite him almost doing it really early there. So, uh, yeah, a bit of a mismatch there. Rikishi calls for the stink face, but Valve hits a low blow. He hits a back elbow and a running clothesline, which spins Rikishi round. Valve hits an elbow from the top for two. He gets close to escaping over the top, but Rikishi catches him, smashes his face into the cage enough times to bust him open. Val is thrown into the cage and his face it, it, and hits face first before getting another Samoan drop. Bonsai drop hits, but Val gets his foot on the bottom rope. Rikishi just tries to just stroll out the door, but Trish slams it shut on him. This allows Val to hit the money shot, but only gets a near fall. Lita comes bouncing out with a belt. She whips Trish to hell, removes her shirt, and whips Trish all the way to the back as revenge for what happened earlier. Val is knocked off the cage and takes out the referee as he falls. Rikishi goes all the way to the top of the cage and looks down on the mat. He shimmies over to the middle and looks down. He could go over and out and win the match, or he could do what he's about to do, a leap from the top of the cage and splash Val Venus. It was absolutely mental. Um, for a guy of his size, it was uh, pretty graceful as well. He goes to walk out the door after recovering, but Taz appears and levels him with a camera, and this allows Val to get the pin and retain the title. Rory, what did you make of this? Yeah, this was a match where it was all about that insane moment to the point where it was replayed on the Raws and Smackdowns up until the end of the month with not a single reference to or mention of the part that did not finish the match, which I'll get to again in a second. The previous 12 and a half minutes that led up to that splash were steady. No more, but no less the kind of level of match, cage or not, you would probably expect between these two. I said it before, Val is serviceable. I like this new attitude of his letting him get a bit more aggressive in the ring, and I think that suits his basic style that he's come trained with. And Rikishi is Rikishi. He can do what he does. He's always going to be over. For a big guy, he times his comebacks well, and they worked a decent, if unspectacular, match. Paint by numbers, but you can get pretty decent pictures to put on your toilet wall, even there, I'm told. But the finish, yeah. So, well, what should have been the finish, I should say. But very much a Freudian slip. Why wasn't it? I mean, okay, you're retelling the Jimmy Snooker story 17 years ago. And yes, he didn't win that match afterwards. But come on. No, the only person who would care about retelling that story the same is just somebody who needlessly works in wrestling history points into pro wrestling podcasts. I can't think of anybody who that's about a prize to, so I don't know why the Federation were even thinking it. 
grin to camera, grin back. Um, but yeah, just end it there. He deserved it for goodness sake. It's a four hundred and twenty pound man jumping off a fucking steel cage, and as you say, Chris, getting it right looked pretty seamless to me. Timeless brush, well landed knees first. Plenty of room for Bow to breathe, but it breathe, but it looked devastating. That's a finish in anybody's money. Shot, pen in, pun intended. Especially as you've done or you're doing the leader revenge spot taking Trish out of the game anyway, so Val's going to be slightly weakened. Not going to be hurt by a defeat here. And yes, you're switching the IC belt again, but I don't, I'd like to say that's more important now, but let's be realistic. It's a bit of a trinket these days. Switching it back to Rikishi wouldn't hurt. But then, if it is Taz that ultimately trying to get over out of this, I suppose it ties up that he would go after yet another face. Uh, it's just deflating again. I'm not sure Rikishi is the sort of character who needs too many banana skin finishes against his name. He, he's not a main event on the cusp babyface who needs to be constantly humiliated, kicked down until he rises back up and wins the big one. Him beating Val cleanly with a super splash for the IC title in the middle of a card, that's sufficient for his level. He will still be over. He can still do the dance afterwards. People will still deservedly like him. But here they gave the heel an out that they didn't really need. Uh, and the fourth, um, well, if you count the DQ in the previous match, it was the fourth match in succession where the heel ends up prevailing, which a dangerous game to play with this crowd. They get away with it, but they were riding their luck a bit. This isn't how I would have done it, but the bump itself, bra fucking Vosa. Dan. I, I legitimately can't think of many matches that have made me go, holy shit, but this is one of them. And I probably will never forget what happened with Rikishi and Val Venus. So that is something that will always be an asterisk to this pay-per-view in the best possible way. Like when we think of No Way Out 2000, we think of Mick Foley retiring. When we think of Fully Loaded 2000, I think we'll think of it of that show where Rikishi jumped off a cage and did a, and did a splash that nearly killed Val Venus. <laughs> I don't really want to comment much on the match because that moment itself is so incredible that I don't want to detract from anything else about it. Like, it's just, just absolutely tremendous. And yes, I agree with everything that Roy said about that being, should have been the main finish of the show, of the of the match and I, I can't disagree with any of it. Taz versus Rikishi at SummerSlam, does that excite me? Mm. Again, from the little I've seen of Taz as a heel, not really is the honest answer. And, and if that is the if that's the reason why Rikishi couldn't have got the win because of this, then I don't think it's worth it. But look, great match for that absolutely one in a million time moment from a guy who, again, just did what he could <laughs> to to get the show, you know, to bet to to steal the show, and he stole the show in every way you could conceivably do. Yeah, my biggest takeaway from this match was they they better have something planned for Val at SummerSlam that's like really worthwhile um like with this belt because 
uh, Rikishi just has had to win here, like after that spot. And and unless Val's program really needs that IC title, then there's no reason you couldn't do Rikishi and Taz for the Intercontinental belt at SummerSlam and have Val do what he was going to do anyway and and just like have Rikishi win the match like have that awesome moment win the match he's celebrating with the title up the ramp and Taz appears behind him and chokes him out like mm. done yeah. like Good call. Uh, uh, they really better have something that necessitates that Val Venus needs his title but do any of us have do any of us have any faith that that will be the case? I don't think so. Um, it was an incredible spot, and I think you're right, Dan, in that I will remember that spot forever, and I probably will forget that <laughs> Rikishi didn't win the match by next month. Like it, it will, it will really be like one of those things. Um, I'm going to highlight how how silly I was while taking notes for this match. Uh, one of the first notes I had was that I feel like the Intercontinental titles gone backwards, moving from sort of like that Jericho angle Benoit sort of level of guy to now Val Venus and Rikishi. And then they had this hell of a match with that finish. Well, no, not with that finish, with what should have been that finish, with that spot. And they proved me wrong. They 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 like great effort, great spot, good storytelling leading to it. Um well-timed leader interference, a well-placed blade job, um, just really good stuff throughout, and finish just slightly weak and slightly undercutting how good that was. But I thought this was a brilliant match that built to that incredible, memorable moment um, really well, and uh, certainly surprised me how good it was and how much I enjoyed the whole sort of 15 minutes leading to that spot, not just that spot alone. Backstage again with Triple H, he finds Harvey Whippleman, who's on his way to deliver more flowers to Stephanie from Kurt Angle. Triple H demands to find out where he is, so Harvey takes him there, but instead it's Chris Jericho. Jericho beats Hunter down, gaining the upper hand before their match. Uh, next, we have a weird segment. Um, Shane McMahon. Uh, comes out in a Just Bring It shirt and challenges The Rock. Um, not for the WWF title. He's uh, clear to point out, as Chris Benoit has his shot tonight. The Rock obliges, uh, but knows it's a setup. Shane runs off and Benoit is backstage in The Rock's locker room. He rips up The Rock's uh, clothing and uh, that's the end of the segment. Kind of did nothing, meant nothing, just... Uh, Felt like one of the matches had gone short and they had a bit of time to fill here. That's kind of the vibe I got. One of those segments in the middle of the pay-per-view. Um, and not the kind of thing I expect um, building up a WWF championship match. Kurt Angle then made his entrance for his match against The Undertaker on his way, scared of his own pyro. The Undertaker didn't wait for his entrance and drove down to the ring on his motorcycle. He sent Angle over the barricade at ringside and they went brawling into the crowd until Angle made his way back towards the ring. Taker sent Angle into the steel steps and the barricade. Um, we're officially underway and Taker gets us started with a boot to the face and an elbow to the chest, picking up Angle um, before the cover. He hit a delayed vertical suplex for two because he picked Angle up again. Taker hit a corner whip, but Angle got the boot up and slapped on a sleeper hold, but Taker backed him into the turnbuckle to break it free. 
He hit a clothesline followed by a sidewalk slam for two and Angle bailed to the floor. Taker followed. Uh, Angle hit him in the left knee again with a wrench in the ref, which the referee missed. Angle hit a chop block to the left knee, but Taker comes back with a boot to the head, not selling the thing at all. Taker sends Angle into the ropes for a choke slam, but Angle kicked the leg and tripped up Taker. He worked over the knee for a few minutes before Taker broke free and drove Angle into the mat. Uh, Taker hits a body shot and body shots with some punches and an uppercut to the face before whipping Angle into the ropes, leading to a huge toke slam. Um, the referee, Tim White, tells The Undertaker that Kurt Angle is out, but Taker says he wants to do more damage. Undertaker picks him up and hits the last ride powerbomb, covering for the pinfall win after destroying Kurt Angle in seven minutes. Um, Dan, I'll come to you first, because I feel like neither of us are going to be able to follow what Rory has for us here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we have very basic action, very basic leg work from Kurt Angle, very slow, very plodding, a veteran going over, a incredibly talented rookie. It's almost WCW-like. And that's a, such an insult, considering that this is a guy who, in Undertaker, is the epitome of WWF. And I honestly thought I was, it was going to be very, very good. Because it, considering how the Undertaker has been, realistically, a pretty you know selfless talent for the last, you know, look at what he's done with mankind, with Kane, even Austin, you know, Austin, like he's had no problem putting people over in, in his in his career, like Yokozuna and fucking Mabel of all people. He has laid down when he has been asked to, and this Kurt Angle kid, he he's really seems to have the rocket strapped to him in a dorky you know heel way but he is a king of the ring is a Eurocontinental champion i legitimately thought this was going to be a uh evenly paced match that would get the best out of both men and this just felt like kevin nash all over again putting back putting down the little wcw cruiserweights all over again taker barely gave him anything very ropey selling of his legs it was very basic match no time uh, and yeah, nothing, a, a nothing match in one of your triple main events. And if that's what you're billing it as, then I would expect more, particularly from a guy who has been around the block for 10 years and has had previous iterations where he's happy to put younger and sometimes undeserving talent over. Angle is not in this category. And I get the sense that this was a bit of an undertaker going, you need some experience up on the card here, Vince. I should go over here. And yeah, it was very sour taste in my mouth after watching this match. Um, however, a positive note is that Angle has, looking at you know the results of pay per views, he's consistently been moved up the card, and yet he still loses quite a lot of his matches. So I don't think this is a, the end of Kurt Angle by any stretch of the imagination, and just because he's so good in every sense of the word, I don't think it's going to be difficult for him to be kind of stopped, judging by how talented he is and how he responds with the crowd. And maybe this was just a way of getting, having the Undertaker be reestablished in his first big singles match return on pay-per-view. Um, but like as a fan, objective fan of Kurt Angle, I was disappointed. Yeah. I, I obviously come to Rory in a sec but I, I just think this kind of sucked like 
it didn't click. And it, a part of me thinks is like, is this it? Like, this is all the Undertaker has to offer us now. He's not the guy anymore in the year 2000, is he? He can't hang in the main event with, like, even this performance here is like too plodding and slow to work like a 20 minute main event match with like Triple H. Like, let alone get in there with guys like Angle and Benoit and Jericho and have their style matches. This is, this is all we get out of him, and I, I don't know that there's room for it at the top of the card anymore. But Rory, we've uh, we've put it off um, long enough. What did you make of this Kurt Angle Undertaker match? See, I searched high and low to try to find somebody as angry about this match as I was, and quite the task, I can tell you, but I think dear old Scott Keith, maybe after I name-checked him on these shows last month, has done his best to come up to my level. So let's see what he said in his review of Fully Loaded, as posted on Inside Pulse eight days ago. Retire now, you crippled, has-been, slow-moving, fry-food-eating, motorcycle-riding, no-selling, tobacco-chewing, no-money-drawing, talentless piece of selfish shit. Kurt Angle is the future, you are nothing. Deal with it. And take Kane with you when you go. I'm sure the idiot rubes will cry and ask where you went again for six months the next time you leave, but I'll be happy to see you gone for good where you can't drag down any more pay-per-views. Almost as angry as I was there, Mr. Keith. A noble effort, but you didn't quite manage it. I'll tell you what this smacks off. Uh, Kurt Angle made his in-ring debut November 99. He knocked around a bit before that, but November 99 is when he properly started. Undertaker rode off into the desert in September of 99. And as we discussed last month, Chris, we know how he's been occupying those time over those last nine months. He doesn't deserve the satisfaction of me going over it again. But he came back in May the way he did, and he saw this little bloke dressed in an America singlet who the fans seem to be reacting to. And I can just hear the conversations now with his fellow BSKs backstage, Charles Wright, Dennis Knight, Rikishi himself even, asking who this little twerp is. Oh, yes, that's Kurt Angle. He's an Olympic gold medalist. He plays a heel and he's incredibly over and he's already amazing in the ring and he's flirting with the main event and he's great. And I can see Undertaker there behind his specs. All the energy he must have to put his fingers up to his chin and stroke him quietly and say, well, we'll see about that, won't we? This was seven minutes and 34 seconds of Undertaker telling Kurt Angle, well, we'll see about that, won't we? He pulled him up twice in the first minute. He could have beaten Kurt Angle twice in the first minute of this match if he wanted to. That is what it is telling us and made it perfectly plain that he could have beaten him there. It's just out of the goodness of his heart, he wanted to beat Angle around for a further six and a half minutes. And did he ever. Kurt did not get one single offensive move in this match, whereas The Undertaker got a lot of offensive moves. <laughs> Find him where you can. All Angle was permitted was that weird side leg lock thing, supposedly to work on Undertaker's ostensibly weakened leg after the wrench shots, which Taker sold in a very inimitable style by leaning back on the mat a bit and saying Ow, at one out of ten volume. You're not a zombie anymore, Callaway. All right. You might make me feel like one watching your matches, but that ain't going to cut it anymore. 
And, you know, you can have American badass as your music and get lacy on your bandwagon as much as you like, my friend. This was fucking repulsive. And I hope, I really do hope what Dan says is right. This isn't going to hurt Angle. But he already loses a fair few matches as it is. Yes, he does. But even on this show, on this show, he's involved with one of the top guys, Triple H, in name. He's looks like he's going to be outright feuding with him based on the Raws and SmackDown after this, which is fascinating. So why the fuck are you allowing him to be knocked down 15 pegs by this very large but very literal waste of space? It's entirely self-defeating because some things never change. Restless core. Oh, oh, we all respect Taker backstage, they say, when he's just standing right behind and pressing something into their back. Now, I feel I know what the truth is, and I've had a lot of good things to say about Undertaker in the course of this show. This might very well be the dirt worst. I would rather watch him versus King Kong Bundy from WrestleMania 11 than see him potentially, hopefully not, but potentially killing, if not, well, maiming, if not killing, if not utter distrustity, and I use that word advisedly, of somebody who has already ascended, in my view, and the views of many others, to superstar status. Why do they let him get away with it? Because he's the fucking Undertaker, that's why. Yeah, you're right, Chris, we couldn't follow that. No, I... <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know that there's a hell of a lot more to say. Um, it was such a detriment to this show um and this this is kind of like the worst bit is like as i said before i think this is what the undertaker is like i i don't see the potential for better matches and improvement out of him like i think he's got the the wrong style the wrong size um the wrong work rate the wrong attitude i i i don't know that i have any hope that the undertaker is gonna be anything but a detriment to these otherwise stellar pay-per-views moving forward and my biggest hope is that he has someone less corruptible to work with this time next month and that's probably about as positive as you can hope to be based on this performance we have a video package covering the triple h chris jericho rivalry and we are now set for the last man standing match between the two they start out brawling with jericho getting an advantage early knocking hunter out of the wrong and hitting a springboard drop kick back inside he hits a shoulder tackle followed by a reverse elbow Hunter gains the advantage with a face buster into the knee, followed by a clothesline over the top to the floor. Jericho charges, but Hunter picks him up and drives him into the top of the barricade, followed by Hunter sending Jericho's ribs into the steel steps. Back in the ring, Hunter hits another kick to the ribs before moving, removing some of Jericho's bandages, followed by some repeated shoulder tackles to those weakened ribs. He hits a running knee to the ribs, then takes off some more bandages and begins to choke Jericho with them. Hunter hits a knee drop to the ribs and lower back area of Jericho, really focusing in on it, laser focus. Hunter jumps, Jer dumps Jericho to the floor, which leads to Stephanie slapping Jericho in the face twice. 
Hunter hits a suplex, which leads to the first count of the match. Jericho beats it, getting up at five. Back in the ring, Hunter slaps on an abdominal stretch, working on the ribs some more. Hunter grabs the ropes and the referee kicks his hand to make him break it, and Jericho fights back with a hip toss. Hunter shoves referee Mike Kyoda, and I think he has a point. There's no DQs here. I don't know why he had to break the hold. Um, he shoves Hunter back, and Jericho hits a spinning heel kick. Jericho goes for the line salt off the ropes, but Hunter gets the knees up to block and hits a DDT, followed by another count that goes to seven. Hunter looks on a sleeper with a body scissors on the mat, which leads to Jericho selling it for another count, but Jericho beats it and gets back up. Hunter works over Jericho with some punches, um, but Jericho comes back, telling him to bring it and hitting a crotch chop. Triple H hits a pedigree in the middle of the ring and poses by the ropes as if he knows he's won, but Jericho beats it and gets up at nine. Hunter brings a chair into the ring, jabbing Jericho in the ribs, then hitting a hard chair shot to the back. He wanted to pedigree him on the chair, but the referee tried to stop him from doing it, presumably because it's too violent in this last man standing match, and Hunter shoves the referee down. Jericho takes advantage, hitting a low blow to a huge pop. The tide begins to turn. Jericho grabs the chair, nails Hunter with it. Hunter has blood all over him. Jericho gets a running forearm to the head while still selling his ribs, doing a superb job. Jericho gets a boot up, followed by a missile drop kick off the middle ropes. He hits a bulldog onto the steel chair, a whip into the ropes, and Hunter does his trademark bump going over the top to the floor. Jericho follows Hunter out. To the outside, which leads to Hunter whipping Jericho shoulder first into the steps. He teases a pair of degree on the steps, but Jericho reverses it and hits a back body drop onto the floor. They both hit each other with TV monitors, and they're both down for the count of nine. Back in the ring, Jericho hits, locks on the walls of Jericho, and Triple H taps out repeatedly. Hunter got to the ropes, and the referee doesn't break the hold because it's no DQ, so I have no idea why he objected to Hunter using the ropes earlier. Stephanie goes into the ring and grabs Jericho by the hair. She tries to slap him, but Chris has had enough. He blocks it and puts her in the walls of Jericho, and the fans are going wild. Hunter breaks the submission on his wife. Back outside the ring, Triple H throws Jericho into the barricade and retrieves a sledgehammer from under the ring. Jericho avoids the sledgehammer shot and catapults Hunter into the ring post and uses the sledgehammer to hit Triple H in the ribs. Triple H is laid out on the announce table. Jericho looks as though he's going to try a moonsault off the timekeeper's table, but Triple H low blows him and backdrops them through the announce table. The referee counts and Triple H stands up just before 10. The referee gets to that 10 count and Jericho is declared the loser. Hunter has won the match, but after winning... Just after the 10th count, Hunter collapses again. Post-match, Stephanie puts her hand on her husband, who's a bloody mess, and she freaks out due to having so much blood on her. The referees help Triple H to the, back to his feet and to the back. JR puts the two men over, giving everything they had, and noted that Triple H only just won by one second. Rory, what did you make of that? Well, first off, I think you're the real winner of this one, Chris. Excellent work with that, my friend. 23 minutes, 11 seconds. I don't think there's anything there you didn't cover. Uh, the drink you're probably having right now is well-deserved, my friend. Right, so if anybody, Jericho included now, tries to tell you that he struggles with WWF main event style, then just don't fucking listen to him. If he's saying it, just put it down to him being self-deprecating again. He nailed this one. Bang on the money he dropped probably about 40 percent of his standard move set 
And he relied, other than the really big ones, he relied on things that he could use as comeback moves, things that he thought could knock the big bad heel who'd been beating him senseless for 10 minutes off his game. Him trying to find an opening to work a shine. That is how WWF star works. And he himself has said he has struggled to get attuned to it. But my goodness me, you would not know that from watching this match. The two of them cut a remarkable pace through the vast majority of this match. It was structured beautifully with Triple H getting the lion's share of it, probably for most of the first half. As I say, Jericho just hanging in there, being plucky without being cheesily superhero about it. And getting out of the pedigree at nine, that could have looked a bit impervious to paying Hogan 89, but not a bit of it because he just about struggled to his feet. He got the advantage with a desperation shot and he worked it as if his own life depended on it, as if this was his sole opportunity to hold a chance of winning the match. They belted each other with weapons. Triple H cut a gnarly blade job in there. It was dramatic. It was fast. The crowd were molten again. This was a tremendous match. I have two issues with it that stopped me going all the way over the top to the five stars, or if not very near five stars. It's not far off. Easily one of the best matches of the year, no doubt. But I've just got to put these on there for the sake of argument, and that's what I do. Number one, I thought the first four or five minutes of brawling were a little bit amorphous. They didn't fit the feud, especially how well it's been built, as we talked about earlier, as if they were still trying to put the remaining structure of the match together at that point. And secondly, as Miller second perfect as they got the very finish and as dramatic as it was as the match was and this is just me talking here I just knew that he capital letters was going to get up at 9.99 and win it and for the week afterwards yes they told us on TV that Jericho only lost by one second but he still lost by one second if there was an opportunity to give Jericho a win over him, then I think this would have been the chance to do it. Fool that I am until I let reality kick back into gear in the last 10 seconds of the match. I thought when they booked it as the last man standing, that's where they were going. But hey-ho, reality. Uh, talked about reality far too often today. Let it go, man. But fantastic match. One of the best of the year. A bloody brawl. Jericho proving that he isn't just a flippity doodah, which we know he isn't, but I still think there have been some people in the back who have him down as somebody who's all mouth, no trousers, and a few stiff shots. Put that to bed now. This guy can hang in WWF main events if given the opportunity to do so. And you know it means something when I, Rory McNamara, turn around and say that this match is yet another huge, big, monumental plus against Triple H's in-ring game for the year 2000. Damn him. Yeah, I mean, one of my notes um, is specifically, he's always had great guys to work with in in 100% of the matches that I'm referencing, but he has had an unbelievably good pay-per-view showing, like, every time. Like the the matches with Foley at the start of the year, um, Mania wasn't <laughs> the 
the match it should have been, but I think personally he he did what he could in in the environment he was in. Then you've got the the matches with the Rock and 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 now this and it's it's multiple opponents, it's multiple months, and I think he's taken his in ring up to another level throughout this year, um, which is probably a bit unexpected, but I think. He deserves enormous credit. Um, Dan, uh, what did you make of this last man standing match? Respectfully disagree with Rory's assessment of the match. I thought it was good, but topped out at a five or six out of ten. And I don't disagree with anything that Rory said about the two men and their performances. Jericho looks like he's now officially top guy main event level based on this performance again there was a moment where he came out the lights were on he had that determined look in his face and it just looked like this was a star that the WWF could build a marketing team around for the next year and a half as a as, a, as the third man baby face behind rock and austin and they would make millions of dollars triple h is the ring top heel general that everyone wants to face to get over as a baby face. I don't disagree with anything that those has been said about those two men. I just thought the way this match was built and the way this match was presented did itself a disservice. There were too many instances where Triple H would do a move, walk back to the corner and just wait. For my liking. It made the match very fragmented and I did not enjoy it because it made... There was like I don't know. Rory says it got the pace going. I thought the pace was just yeah. kept chopping and changing all the time. There was there was no ebb and flow that I like to see with main event action. And again, there's, you mentioned this in the play by play, Chris. There were many instances where the referees got involved for being too violent. What a pedicle on the chair is now is now deemed to be too violent. That's considering that we just saw a man jump off a fucking cage. There was no way that, that should have been got involved with and. To me, too, there were too many instances of that where that did, did not make logical sense for the decisions they made. And I know why they did it to give drama to most people. And I think it obviously worked for most people. So I'm in the minority here. But I just did not like the fact that how contrived the two double counts were for some of these instances. The Rock and Mankind in their last Man Standing match uh, back in February last year swung chairs at each other to make themselves knock each other down. These guys did it with monitors. And these guys finished with a a back suplex through a table. It just felt... Maybe I've been spoiled. Maybe I've been spoiled by the stuff that Mick Foley's done. Maybe I've been spoiled by some of the stuff Fakishi's done. Maybe I've been spoiled <laughs> by ECW. But to me, I just thought that the the, the agonizing climb up you know, to beat the count of nine because of monitor shots and table breaks is a little bit weak source. And you could have done it like Triple H got a sledgehammer out. If he if he nailed Chris Jericho in the ribs with a sledgehammer, given his injuries, now that could have been a successful finish because you've had could have had Chris Jericho, you know, going, I know I'm I can do it, but my ribs won't let me. To me, that's more of a, a dramatic finish than just being knocked out because he got back suplex through a table. And because maybe because table breaks are so part of the course in WWF now that, again, we, have, we say it on every single show is contractually obliged to have a table break. Again, 
the choices that they made in this match, rather than the actual performance themselves, really did not make this an outstanding match of the year candidate for me. Not even a great match for me. I can't fault the performance themselves. I've, I, I'm more putting the fault on whoever put the match together. Um, because still good, but nowhere near as great as, as most people think it is, in my opinion. I will just say that about the finish, I do see where you're coming from, Dan. I think they made the best of it and exceeded that, in my opinion. But I'll, I will give you this one. That wasn't, I don't know what the planned finish was, but it wasn't what we got. Apparently, when China broke the table in that match earlier, as if anybody else would otherwise have remembered that, that's the table they were going to use. Now, you could justifiably turn around and say, well, if they were going to use that table for something, why couldn't they just use the remaining table to do whatever they were planning on doing in the first place? That would be an understandable retort. But apparently, the back suplex through the table wasn't what they had in mind. So that's probably worth throwing out there. What it would have been, I don't know. I have to say, I firmly come down more on Rory's opinion. Um, I thought this was brilliant. Um I thought that sometimes in last man standing matches with sort of the, the countdown or count up to 10, it's, it's all, sometimes there's less drama than there would be in a main event match where you'd normally have like a, a near fall and a kick out at 2.9 and someone just standing up isn't, isn't quite as dramatic, but I thought they got that right. Um, I, I think it was maybe just like Jericho and his ribs immediately following Undertaker and his left knee and I just like wanted to love this because it was on a psychology level and selling and storytelling they nailed it I thought um I thought that I would have loved Chris Jericho to win this but my expectations were (laughs) what we got um but I do think that both guys in my book came out looking good, looking better than they did going in for having this match. Um, yeah, I, 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 I really liked this a lot. And I, I would firmly say it's been one of my favorite matches of the year. Um, but I do take all of your points. And I, I think a large part of it is the last man standing zip which I'm not a huge fan of any time. Um, and I don't know that they needed it here. Um, just a no DQ would have been fine, I think. Um, and I, I also had the same thought as Rory. Last man standing was a way for Chris Jericho to get a win without pinning the guy. <laughs> that didn't happen. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm a bit surprised that you didn't enjoy the match a lot. You never said it was bad, man. You said it was good. But 6 out of 10 feels very low for me because I thought this was more like a 9. Um, hey, no, normally I'm the, I'm the man with the positivity on this show, so don't come, don't come moaning to me that I'm being harsh. <laughs> I, it's, not, it's, it's, it's not a moan. That, I think that you're... Normal positivity is kind of what I expected, so I'm a little thrown that you're just middle of the road. You're not even being particularly critical. You're just, just 
It was good. Nonplussed. It was good. I've left bringing the positivity in a Triple H match. You know, this is what this is where we are now, everybody. It's th- <laughs> things are never going to be the same again. Look, you. I'm, I'm, I'm questioning myself here now. You were moaning <laughs> earlier, Rory, that we, you know we needed to have some more negativity on this show. I'm just sorry. That <laughs> had... <laughs> match number six. Come on. I over blew a, blew a gasket during that one. I was bringing myself round with the, the serenity of a Triple H winning a Last Man Standing match. Ah, oh, just. <laughs> Let it wash over you, man. No, it's never going to fucking work. No. <laughs> if he's listening, enjoy it while you can, Levesque, okay? <laughs> Hopefully, noble service will be resumed soon, but no, you're just too fucking good, mate. Sorry. Bastard. <laughs> so, moving on to our main event of the evening, and we have The Rock defending the WWF title against Chris Benoit. Stipulation being if The Rock is disqualified, he will lose the title. This was put in place earlier in the month um, because The Rock had snapped, beat the hell out of Benoit backstage and hit him with multiple chair shots, delivering a rock bottom on the hood of a limo. Uh, So Commissioner Foley begrudgingly put this stipulation in place. A distraction from Shane McMahon allows Chris Benoit to attack from behind, but he's sent outside by the champion. A hot start as Rock gives chase to Shane, takes down Benoit multiple times in the midst of this. He tries a crippler crossface on Benoit, but Benoit escapes and has to regroup. He has time to calm down and Benoit starts to take control back inside the ring, with Shane getting in some cheap shots for good measure. Rock rallies with a separate second rope back suplex. Shane distracts the referee, allowing Benoit to strike Rock with the title for two. I think that came a bit too early, um, as I don't think anyone would have bought that as a finish that soon into the match. A, a power slam from the Rock gets two before Benoit slaps on a sharpshooter. Uh, Rock gets out, but his comeback is halted when Shane pulls down the top rope on him. Rock does drive Benoit into the ring post and use the figure four, but Benoit grabs the ropes. Shane continues to get in cheap shots every so often before, and Benoit continues to uh, focus on the lower back of the rock. He now has a diving headbutt, but is too hurt to get the pin. This allows rock, rock to get up and hit the people's elbow, but Shane distracts the referee, so it's just an earful. Shane lays out the referee with a steel chair, so Rock chases him away with the chair before applying the crippler crossface. Hebner calls for the bell and announces that the Rock is disqualified because he believes that The Rock was the one to hit him with a chair. Your new champion is Chris Benoit. Shane goes to the ring with a chair and he hits The Rock in the head. Benoit leaves with the WWF title and with Shane. The Rock is bleeding from the head as Benoit and Shane were in the aisle celebrating. But here comes Commissioner Foley, who walked down to ringside. Foley said that the title can change hands on the disqualification but he didn't see a disqualification nobody in dallas texas saw a disqualification cheap pop and he ordered that the match continue i i really wondered here where was foley when we had like shitty finishes earlier in the show like why 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 did this one matter i guess because it's for the wwf title but there we go so the match did continue. The Rock connected with some punches, hit ben, but Benoit comes back and hits three German suplexes, which get two. Um, the fans had thrown rubbish into the ring um, after that fake finish, and there's still cups and other trash uh, laying around as Benoit slaps on the crippled cross face, but the Rock fights out of it, crawls to the bottom rope, and breaks the hold. He comes back with some punches, and he hits the Rock bottom for the pinfall win after 22 minutes. 
The Rock retains the WWF title. Dan, what did you make of this? This was much better. This was a great main event, um, which you should be kind of expecting because it involves Chris Benoit one-on-one in the ring, no gimmicks attached, the best damn technical wrestler in the world right now, getting 22 minutes in his first main event with his new company. Of course, he was going to go all out and make this as good as he possibly could. And look, The Rock is not on the same level as a Jericho or Triple H, but he is still an incredible athlete in the ring. He's trying to expand his his um, repertoire of moves, even though I still don't think he's got the the execution down right. But the more variety I think the a champion can bring to a match, the better. We don't want to fall in the trap that we got into in the Russo era of having every single main event be a, main, a walk around, walk and predominantly in the ring main event and at a very high level was really, you know, a great match to cap off a, a very good show. Uh, it delivered in space. I, I, I do try to ignore Shane McMahon's excessive interference as much as I possibly could. Um, and I, I genuinely did like the fact that we got a massive false finish because it, it one, it establishes the fact that they, couldn't give us something to Benoit. The fact that he walked out was announced as a WWE champion. They can use that in their marketing for future promos. And it also identifies the fact that under Mick Foley's commissioner watch, we are not going to have really much screwy finishes because he's like, I explain it in my own head canon by the fact that he doesn't give a shit about edge and Christian. They're dorks. They'll get beaten eventually, but this is the WWF title. This is the most important match in the company every month. He's going to be watching this with a fine tooth comb and making sure that there's no screwy. He's a fair commissioner. That's why when the rocks, um, excessive violence towards Chris Benoit and Shane McMahon got out of hand, he said, no, this is not fair you can lose the match by disqualification. So he's a fair, impartial commissioner who, although he does favor the baby faces, he isn't going to give them, you know, complete leeway like Vince McMahon and Stephanie McMahon did with the heels. So I think this match did did wonders for establishing the canon that's going to be the WF programming for the next few months, at the very least, as long as McFoley's around. And look, as I said, I thought Benoit... In the main event slot, given 20 minutes, is going to give you something very, very good. And I think with The Rock's willingness to comply and put himself out there as the champion that he is, and the crowd being molten hot, as you've mentioned, the fact they were so pissed off that they generally fought Benoit as the champion to throw crap into the ring, and how elated they were The Rock got the win. I generally thought this was a, very, a, a great main event to cap off the show. Um, I think Benoit, of all the three... Um, you know, glass ceiling, new bloods to come through. Probably the head, in my estimation, of in terms of where he is on the card. And I think this match showcased why he is that way. I would love to see him and The Rock have a future match together. And I'd love to see him and Jericho for the the, the WWF title down the line if they can, because I think those two in particular have just got it. And um, yeah, very big pump thumbs up for me. Rory, over to you. Yeah, it was almost as good as the last man standing match. <laughs> oh, uh, reward again. I'm still right though. Yeah, this was excellent, wasn't it? And the thing that made this excellent was the rock in a main event. I know, hot take. Hear me out. It's another one where 
as we discussed earlier, the booking for this one in the weeks leading up to it was impeccable. Benoit minted as a legitimate, believable contender for the WWF title. But at some point, the bell's got to ring. And this match deserved to be 20 minutes long. And they got it. But despite all his best efforts, and I do mean best efforts in recent matches on main events, Backlash, and especially huge portions of the Judgment Day, hour-long Iron Man match, I was concerned that from an in-ring perspective, The Rock was going to struggle here. We don't often talk about The Rock as a pure wrestler, and I think for good reason, and that is not to belittle him, because I wouldn't even waste my time trying. <laughs> Why even bother to attempt it? I'd be defeated in seconds, and quite rightly so. He does everything else better than anybody else. But the time has come now that the WWF have brought these guys in, and one of them has been elevated to the main event, if only for a solitary month, where the champion, who happened to be The Rock, had to show that he could match these guys in the ring. And I tell you what, he bloody did. It might well be that Benoit was reining himself in slightly to allow The Rock to keep up with him. But if he was, and I'd like to think I've got a fairly trained eye in this sort of thing, then bugger if I could notice it, The Rock was with him every last step of the way. On the floor, in the air, yes, really, the brawling segments, everything. The Rock matched him. And I don't know if this is the case or not, but I'd like to think that he really worked hard away from the camera glare for the last three or four weeks, knowing that he was going to be in there with the best technical wrestler in the WWF, if not anywhere else. And he didn't want to embarrass himself. And did he ever succeed in that? Leading me to think that if we can in the future get main events that mix the drama and the excitement that we do so well with high quality pro wrestling, the like of which so often starved of or have been in North America, if that can become the new normal, then what treats we are in for for the next few years? Excellent stuff leading all the way to the finish. The dusty finish. That was played very well. It was Foley favouring the face, but he was favouring him for good reason. Just because The Rock could get disqualified and lose the title doesn't mean it should happen. I thought, again, the timing on the finish was excellent. Where Heppner turned around just at the moment The Rock was dropping the chair. Now, that could have looked a little ugly, but again, milliseconds on, it was understandable that Heppner would disqualify him and give him the old Tommy Young pat on the shoulder to say that he hasn't caused his opponent to submit. So it was fine. I don't mind that restart. The WWF don't use dusty finishes all that often. When they do, it favours the face rather than the heel, which is an interesting turnaround, but there you go. So it was fine here, and it was what the crowd wanted to see. From a booking perspective, my only issue is that the Rock won rather quickly after the restart. A few punches, Rock bottom, and we're out. I wonder if we might have been a little bit tied for time. We did go off the air pretty quickly after that, so that might have been the issue. I'd like to have seen him grapple and scrap and snarl for his win a little bit more to show that yes whatever it takes to beat this fella not just 20 minutes but i can still rock bottom you and win uh no big deal get only a mind drawback though tremendous match is there anything the rock cannot do benoit is made again much like jericho if they want him to be right? 
you're always looking over your shoulder, and I'm sure he is too, but he gets bumped down to the lower mid card with nary a second thought. But if there was any doubt that he deserved to be in such esteemed company, then that has gone right out the window, right through the ceiling, if you will. A winner of a main event between two people, or one whom I would never have doubted, or one who, in this case, I was very, very wrong to doubt. Excellent main event. Yeah, really good main event. A um, couple of notes I had with that. I thought this finish is exactly why it's so handy, having a babyface authority figure, um, because you can do stuff like this that is going to really pop the crowd to close your show. Um, probably a hell of a lot more than if The Rock had just beat him during the match normally. Um, and you get that because you have a babyface at the making the decisions, even though it was a just and valid decision, if you had Vince McMahon running the show, or I don't know, even when you had Commissioner Shawn Michaels, um, you're not going to get this decision play the same way. Um, having Mick Foley in this role, um, I, I think this this moment kind of summed up how good he is. That and the promo with The Rock that we discussed earlier. Um I thought the finish, um, I had the same note as you, Rory. I thought it was a little bit too quick following the restart. Um, I'd like to see The Rock get a few more moves in. Um, but I think uh, this match, um, again, how I felt about Triple H and Jericho more than applies here. Um, both men come out of it higher in my estimations than they were going in. I think The Rock um, did a superb job of hanging in with uh Chris Benoit and keeping to his level. And I think um, Benoit proved that he, we all know the, what level of technical in-ring wrestler Chris Benoit is, but we proved that to the WWF, I hope that he is someone you have to have. In, if you've got him on your roster, this is where you have him and it's in the main event of pay-per-views as high as you can put him on the card and have him as one of your top guys. He was aggressive, relentless and controlled a lot of the match and he was excellent as we all know he can be. Um, so yeah, really good match. Um, not perfect. They could have tweaked a few things here or there and maybe had a few improvements, but I, uh, I thought these two worked really well together and it was a, a big positive on the show. So uh, with that, all that's left to do is give our overall summary, our thoughts on this show, a score rating out of 10. Dan, I'll come to you first. Uh, look, it's still a very, very good show. Uh, you can't be an average show or just a good, if you've got two outstanding matches, and you know, a, one of the best opening matches we've had, you know, in the last three years and then a brilliant main event and a, and a memorable iconic moment with Rikishi. But I, I can't, like the, the Undertaker match, the Taz match, the, the general, the mid card was, was a bit disappointing. Um, and obviously what for most people puts the show into, into show of the year territory is the last man standing match. And I just thought it was good. So like, that's probably the big reason why I think the show is, is, is still, you know, very good. Go out your way to watch it, but I don't think it's show of the year level. Uh, I'm going to give it a very good seven out of ten. Um, uh, and yeah, I think 
this show is very good, but I don't think it's on the level of a backlash or um, No Way Out Royal Rumble. Rory. I think I've made very clear the one thing I would drop from this card. Not going to, again, somebody else is not going to get the satisfaction of me repeating myself. And Taz Al Snow was blah. Even the Perry Saturn Eddie Guerrero match, it still had Eddie Guerrero in it. Otherwise, I'm looking at the card now up and down and I'm remembering all those moments. The cheers that Lita was getting in the opener. The crowd reaction to Bradshaw's promo. Rikishi making himself all of the last man standing match, Dan. And The Rock showing that he could go 20 minutes with a technical Marvel superstar. Millions of other things besides. So despite the undoubted negatives this show had, and negatives it shouldn't have had, really, they could have been excised. One of them should have been excised if somebody had the balls to tell him backstage. Anyway, positivity. This is very, very close to show of the year territory for me. I think top to toe, it's a better show than Judgment Day. Admittedly, not the fairest of comparisons. The match it took up an hour, but probably pound for pound a little bit superior to that one. Not much in it, but enough. One thing I think we can all agree on is relieving news for us, Chris, after the horrors of King of the Ring last month. We can safely call that one an outlier after all. Normal service resumed and how. I am going for... It was just, I can't put it for me. Eight and a half upwards is magnificent show territory. I can't quite go there, but a very, very strong eight, probably just behind Backlash for me. There's not much in it, but you've got to watch this program. It's a tremendous pay per view. Yet another one from the Federation this year. Even when they try, and on the show they did try, they can't really get much wrong. Eight out of ten. Yeah, I thought this was an excellent show. On the whole, I thought the opener was brilliant. I enjoyed um, the Edge and Christian match. Val Venus with Rikishi was far better than all of my expectations, and it had that incredible moment. I loved the last man standing match, and the main event was brilliant. Um, looking at the cards for both of them, I don't think this was as good as Backlash. Um, I, I, I so much better than King of the Ring, obviously. Um, but I don't think it's the best show they've had this year, but it's certainly close. Um, I can't remember what I gave Backlash. Off the top of my head, it was probably a nine. It was this a nine. One, it was, yeah. This one, I think eight is exactly where it deserves to be, in my mind. It's it's not a Backlash, but um, it's another very, very good show with some excellent highs um, unfortunately, a very, very low low, um, <laughs> as uh, demonstrated by Rory. But um, yeah, I think, again, my biggest takeaway is kudos to The Rock and Triple H for a part this time, but both delivering some excellent quality pay-per-view matches, um, in my mind. Um, and both of them have been on fire throughout the year so far. Um, and that streak continued here. So before we wrap up for the month, there is another storyline I'd like to touch on um, from the TV that followed the pay-per-view. And 
it concerns Triple H, everyone's favourite, and uh, Stephanie McMahon, and uh, McMahon Helmsley, I should say, and Trish Stratus. So on the 27th of July edition of SmackDown, Commissioner Foley booked Hunter and Trish as a tag team against the team of Chris Jericho and Lita. Hunter was aghast at this, complaining backstage to Stephanie. He said that Trish should be in a bar somewhere doing wet t-shirt contests and she had no business in a wrestling ring. Hunter said that she knows nothing about wrestling or technique and he follows it with this. You, her, all of the women, it's the same thing. Stephanie quite rightly took some drastic offence to this, telling her husband that wrestling is her life, storming out of the room and leaving him to stew. Later on, Trish paid Hunter a visit. She knew Hunter wasn't happy about teaming with her, but wanted to prove him wrong and asked him to show her some holds. Triple H accepted. We cut back a bit later, Hunter showing Trish a hammerlock. She tries to move she tries to move out on him, and the two end up in a rather compromising position as Stephanie returns. She angrily throws a vase at Hunter before running off sobbing. Triple H berates Trish and chases after Steph. With Hunter gone, Foley announced that Chris Benoit would be Trish's substitute partner and Chris Jericho and Lita defeated Chris Benoit and Trish later in the show when Jericho pinned Benoit following a lion saw. A few days later on Warrior, this sort of, not love triangle, but misunderstanding would continue. Triple H emerged with a bouquet of flowers for Stephanie trying to apologise. He insisted there was never anything between himself and Trish. Stephanie accepted his apology and the couple embraced. And later, Trish finds the Helmsley's backstage, looking to set the record straight and apologise too. Stephanie seems to accept to her face, but is furious with her behind her back. Hunter and Steph are booked for mixed tag action, so Stephanie asks him to go over some moves. It goes well, until Steph asks to see the move he was showing Trish. Hunter seems reluctant at first, but eventually gives in. He mentions Steph is a bit taller than Trish, and she takes this the wrong way, accuses him of preferring Trish's petite frame. Hunter calms her down, but while giving further instructions to her, he calls her Trish. Big mistake. And Stephanie storms away again. Stephanie leaves the building, so Foley replaces her in the, uh, in the mixed tag match with none other than Trish Stratus. Foley's really stirring the pot. She tries to get Hunter to show him some more moves, but he kicks her out and wants to avoid more trouble. The match, which serves as the main event, um, and the last thing we see this month, ends when Lita pins Trish following a moonsault. Afterwards, Triple H scolds Trish for costing his team the match. Rock hits Hunter with a chair from behind, and he lands on Trish in a very provocative position. Rock has a good old laugh, and JR hopes that Steph isn't watching as the show fades to black. Rory, what the hell is going on? I don't know, but uh, I think I like it. Yeah, you're going to reach down between my legs and grab a body part. This is this is highbrow stuff. No, it is. It's, it's fucking fantastic. It really is. I don't want to sound like I'm belittling it, because... I love this. I don't know where it's going, but I love it. Triple H, my new favourite, my Bezzy mate. He's so good at this stuff, isn't he? He's so good at the backstage stuff. Oh, he's just so dish. <laughs> no, you know, I'm taking it too far. But um, confusing Trish and Stephanie McMahon. You know, that's not a mistake I would make, but there you go. Um, one thing I did love about this was how natural the setup for it was no because we don't know at this point whether trish 
is being genuine when she says there's nothing going on. I wonder if that's the twist in this storyline. I could believe, well, almost believe, that she really was knocking on Triple H's door, asking for help with pro wrestling moves. I doubt that's where the story is going. But for now, it did make what was already both a very funny and very serious situation added a layer of, there's that word again, reality to it. Wasn't just completely thrown together. It was all happening for a reason. And Triple H's supposed bemused demeanor at all of this, Trish's is she innocent or is she not stuff, helps to offset. And I don't, I really don't want to say this because she has been excellent in a lot of areas. But I do have to pull up Stephanie's first audition for nativity play failure style acting here it's so fucking bad you know when she was doing her sad face and the upper lip was going i was like oh for goodness sake wrestling might be in your blood but i don't think acting is i just hope that she's obviously going to be playing an important role here going forward she just tries to improve that a little bit i mean she's trying but she's also trying in another sense but love the storyline love where it went it's already more than a lover's tiff. What's Stephanie going to do? What's Triple H going to do? And I suppose I would ask this question most importantly. What is Trish going to do? Oh, it's so much fucking fun. Dan, what did you make of it all? I've, I've gone on record in this podcast many times to say I, I love the soap opera style of wrestling. Of course, I love this. This is just this is just right. My this is my cup of tea. All we need now is for Tess to finally get his feud with Triple H to defend Trish Stratus' <laughs> honor. <laughs> so that's what got, it was all about. Now this is long-term booking at its very best. <laughs> um, no, I, I can't add much more to what Rory said. Really, I mean, this is one of those times where the podcast medium, as good as it is, really can't do justice to some of the visuals that we've seen. Uh, I, I kind of just wanted to freeze frame like the, the image of Triple H reacting to Stephanie walking walking in on him in, in the uncompromising position, as you called it, Chris, and just have the Seinfeld, um, you know, exit music playing in the background as if, you know, all the EastEnders, you know, dun, 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 dun thing just to make home the, you know, just absurdity of it all. Um, look, I'm really looking forward, to, as, as, as Rory said, I'm really interested to see where this goes. I don't know if Trish and TNA are, are realistically going to be the the main characters in this in this play, just because you know, like Val Venus and TNA, all jokes aside, are nowhere close to the level of of Triple H. So, who's the protagonist going to be? There's rumors that it's going to be Kurt Angle. Is, is it going to be Jericho again? I, I don't know, but. Yeah, I mean, what we've got on TV so far is excellent, and it's in keeping with, like, this is the prime example of what excellent TV the company's producing right now, um, and makes you want to tune in next week to find out what's going to happen with Steph and Triple H. So, again, all all my thumbs up goes to you, Mr. Kresge, because you're producing a damn great, great TV product right now. One more thing quickly: it's trashy, but it's not trash. That's the difference. I think Chris Kresge knows how low-grade soap opera stuff this is. But my God, he and the protagonists are going to have as much fun with it as they can. And as viewers, we're the ones who reap the benefits. I he who shall... I'm not going to name him. I named him too often on the WCW show. He who shall not be named wouldn't get this. 
that wouldn't have the sense of fun that this style of writing and performance does. I would go on a limb and say that. The concept of Russo, if you will, does not have this chapter in it. The <laughs> entire story would have happened in the first hour of a Nitro. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I don't know what, what would happen next. But... Trish, uh, Trish goes off with Steph in that story, I think. Oh, sorry, <laughs> <not me. laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it was just brilliant. Um, yeah, the epitome of the praise... Um, we've given WWF TV and I think you're right when you say it's trash but it's not trashy but not trash trash, because this is so easy to do a storyline this exact storyline with these exact backstage segments and sort of (laughs) ends to Raw where following a chair shot Triple H ends up on top of her and all of this and it's rubbish it's so easy to do this badly it's so much harder to refine it so that not not that it's passable so that it's excellent and they've nailed it um as you say Kresge deserves loads of praise for his handling of not sensitive material in in like a, a a violent or <laughs> in, in, an, in an adult sense, but in a, in the way that is so easy to get this wrong and for it to end up bad and it's anything, but it's must watch wrestling television, which the WWF hasn't had a whole lot of in recent years, even when they are firing um, full force, um, their TV hasn't been this consistently good for a long time. One last thing I'd like to sort of give us a chance to to talk about is the sort of first full month of Commissioner Foley. Um, we've spoken about him a number of times with different angles, the um, promo with The Rock at the, the start of the month and obviously his involvement throughout the pay-per-view. Um, but Dan, um, we rarely pass up the opportunity to praise Mick Foley, but what do you make of his first month as commissioner? Uh, anything more to say on it? I mean, like, how many more superlatives can we throw at this man as a as a wrestling mind? Like, his comedy chops are just in- incredible. Like, his interactions with Edge and Christian are funny. His, his, he's got brilliant delivery for, for someone who has, you know, not really done full-fledged comedy for a long time. Like, as a non-wrestler like mankind was goofy but this is turned up to 11 i don't know whether this is the real mcfoley like we always say wrestlers are best when they have their own personalities turned up to 11 and this is just dorky nerd commissioner it's just been a riot like we've had we've been it's so tiring having heel authority figures you know with with vince who was incredible but then stephanie and trips who were you know had their positives as as non-wrestlers but they aren't the same level as Vince and then just have this dorky fun loving commissioner come in who is not afraid to to read the riot act when need be but is ultimately fair and is hilarious to make this at the same time it just makes it so easy to watch and it's just like the fact that he how many times have you mentioned the word cheap pop like this this entire show Chris and that's just what he is he's not taking himself too seriously he's just having a blast with this I can't think of a better way that this Mick Foley could be used in wrestling right now i i love every single minute he's on the screen rory any more from you and commissioner foley yeah only very we don't i gladly talk about him for hours but again 
just revel in the man himself. Don't take my word for it, but just very briefly, so many authority figures in all promotions who are just horrible exaggerations. One man did it and he got it very much right, but exception proved the rule, really. We're Foley, with Foley now in this role. He's been doing it for five weeks and it's very, very simple. He's funny, but only when he needs to be. He's articulate, but only when he needs to be. He's serious, but only when he needs to be. He's all of the best Mick Foley things when the situation calls for them. He's not like Commissioner Michaels, who really didn't want to be there and just was relying on the old, well, you know something, Bin Man, I prance all over God's Green Earth promo he'd been cutting for the last five years. Foley is clearly engaging with the material to the point where I could almost believe that he is the person making the matches. I love his ramshackle setup and oh, just everything about it. Just again, search out all of the TV from this month if you can. Get hold of the tapes, whatever it takes, beg, steal, or borrow. The Foley segments stand alongside and above even some of the very best stuff. And there's been lots that you could assign the word best to. I hope Foley, uh, my arms towards all forms of authority figures just fading away with Foley. I presume that he's going to keep this role for as long as he wants it and i hope he wants it for a very long time again we are the ones who reap the benefits from this man he could have done anything he wanted he chose pro wrestling the rest of the world's loss is very much our gain is he in consideration for non-wrestler of the year even though he was a wrestler for the first three months of the year i think you can nominate commissioner foley for that award right i hope Commissioner really Foley is a different character to the early 2000 Cactus Jack, yeah? I'm really hoping so because he's 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 very much flying off the, onto the top of the shortlist right now. I feel like we're going to have to uh, yeah, well, I feel like we're going to have to argue our case in come December, but seeing as we've got Rory on side, I feel like <laughs> <laughs> remembering this from the uh, the match of the year wars last year. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's all that's all reset in December. That's all reset. No favors. At least I've, I've, I already re, I already feel I pissed him off with the other show with the rating of the last man standing match because I'm sorry. I'll play him the Foley rock promo and uh, we've got this one in the bag, I feel. But I, I, I think um, there's no better way to sign off a, a great month of WWF TV than talking about Mick Foley and Commissioner Foley and just a breath of fresh air and how great he is and it's only a couple of months ago when Vince is back and he turns heel at Mania and we think oh no we're going to do this again like Vince is superb in that role and he, but we've had it for a couple of years and we wanted something fresh um, something different and Commissioner Foley is the antidote to all of that um, and it's no coincidence that his first four month on TV is probably the first time I've three people on a one of these shows have said watch all of the tv for this month and um there isn't like a like you say earlier dan there's no like all-time angle on the tv this month it's just consistently good consistently fun and consistently watchable which is when you weigh everything up probably better than one huge angle that everyone talks about while the rest just sort of falls under the radar. And on that note, I think that will do it for our WWF July coverage for the year 2000. Um, Rory, thank you so much for being on the show. Great analysis as always. Um, Would you like to 
uh, throw in some plugs. My pleasure. Absolutely loved it. Yes, in addition to this podcast and the WCW show I am on, this one was a bit more fun than recording that one, but uh, do definitely check it out if you really want angry Rory on that one. And yes, I do mention his name more than once. Not Triple H. He's mine here. Anyway, other plugs. Yes, if you want to hear me talking about other examples of the wrestlings, then you can tune into the Place to Be Nation Wrestling Network. More I'm on two shows there every month. Uh, the Special Relations with my pals Ben Locke and Callum McDougall, which is a bit of a random bollock show, really. We talk about all sorts of stuff, mainly wrestling related. We go off on a few tangents as well. Uh, the Graps Chat, a bit of retro, been a modern day, some of our favourites. It, it could take in anything, really, but we put one of those shows up with a traditional British flavour, spelt with a U, of course, every month. And also, my other show by the name of Seen Your Video in which I march very, very slowly through the home video classics section of the WWE Network. Most recent post, as we record this, I reviewed, if that's the right word, the Hulk Hogan Real American VHS. You can probably guess what I thought about that one. And the next show, which will probably be out by the time you hear this, where I look at the 1986 special Villains of the Squared Circle. Why do I do it to myself? on the place to be nation wrestling network so check me out on there and also uh, dan great to have you back on the main show and uh, some excellent contributions and uh, varying opinions that i think really uh, made this show a really fun one to record so thanks for being on it um any any plugs nah nah <laughs> good stuff any um, last man standing matches you want to recommend for us <laughs> Just any apart from fully loaded two thousand. Rory, Rory, knows exactly what he's talking about there. I must say. <laughs> nudge, nudge, wink, wink, tap nose. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Like riding a bike, Chris. Glad to be back and glad to be talking about one of the great periods in wrestling history. And thank you for listening. I have been your host, Chris White. Um, yeah, it's been a really fun month to record. Make sure you try and catch as much WWF TV as you can from July, as it was a stellar month. Um, thank you very much for listening to the show, and until next time, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>